thanks to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran. If you listen to this podcast, odds are you've seen the 1986 blockbuster Top Gun dozens of times. You know the storyline and you love the exciting flying cinematography, but what do you know about how the film was actually made? Now, I'm not just talking about what we learned from Pete Pettigrew way back on episode 21. You remember him. He was the Navy's advisor to Paramount. I'm talking about the boots on the ground lieutenants who arranged the actual flying sequences, improvised the in-flight dialogue after filming, and for that matter, helped the movie makers come up with a storyline that we all know and love, but did not necessarily start out that way. So anyway, we get in there and here's these civilians, I don't know who they are, and they have these little eight and a half by 11 things they call treatments. They give us a little brief like, hey, we're going to make this movie about this and such and such. And so they give us this thing to read. And about, I mean, it's 30 seconds. You can hear people laughing out loud. They're snickering. It's like that's the kind of stuff that's coming out. And these people are shocked. I mean, they're used to people kissing the ring. Uh-huh. Right. And we're like, no, 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 no. This is ridiculous. Well, to give you an idea, in the original script, Kelly McGillis was a waitress at a Bonanza Steakhouse and an aerobics instructor. Right. <laughs> want to serve my country be the best fighter pilot in navy sir i'd like to bust your butt but i can't i got another problem here yes sir strap in for the fighter pilot podcast the internet radio show that explores the fascinating world of air combat the aircraft the weapon systems and most importantly the people now here's your host retired u.s navy fighter pilot vincent aiello you two characters are going to top gun Hello and welcome to the show. I am your host, Jello, and yes, we have a really exciting discussion coming up with a couple gentlemen who were lieutenants back in the 80s, helping Paramount come up with what we all know and love. And you'll be pretty interested, I think, to learn how involved they were, not just in the flying sequences at Miramar and up in Fallon and off the coast and on the ship, but really in the storyline development of Top Gun. Everything from the different characters to the dialogue to the ejection sequences, the tower flyby, all that is coming up in just a few minutes. But before you know the drill, one quick announcement, couple listener questions. Now, hopefully you're enjoying Top Gun Month. We've been really stroking, throwing out a lot of content for you, including musings on our website and of course all the bonus episodes, including the Top Gun versus Top Gun episode seven revisit we just put out five days ago. And in true fighter pilot fashion, like to uh, debrief a mistake, it turns out that Mob's shootdown of the SU-22 fitter was actually like three months before Grand and I recorded that interview in 2017. It was in June of 17. So I just got my wires crossed on that one. That panel Grand talked about was actually where we recorded at that hook in uh, September 2017. So my bad, but otherwise it was good to hear from Grand again. And everyone said they really loved Brad Elward on his couple interviews there as well. So Yeah, Top Gun Month has been fun, and it's not over. Got a lot of more content coming up for you. A lot of more. You like that one? Anyway. All right. A couple questions that do apply to Top Gun Month here. One is from Stephen in Preston, Idaho, who likes to torture me with pictures of fishing and beautiful Idaho scenes. He says, are Top Gun students allowed to take notes during lectures? 
I can't imagine trying to learn that much material without taking notes. If so, how does the school keep that material secure? The lecturers have to cover lots of classified material. Do squadrons have a study area where pilots can keep their classified notes for study? Well, yes, they do, Stephen, and that's the biggest point. There is, of course, security for the building. Everyone has to get by the security guy to be in there in the first place. You have to have a certain security clearance to get in in the first place. And then there is a room for the students with a safe. They can keep their classified notes in the safe. And then when they are done and graduate and go back wherever it is they're going, which the next question is about, then the school will send their notes to them via registered mail. Believe it or not, I didn't know this until I started getting more involved in security stuff, but a lot of that stuff gets double-wrapped and sent right through the mail. So I hope that's okay to say, because I always wonder what happens when it gets lost. Anyway, that's how it works. And yeah, Stephen, you can take notes and then you can get them back where you go after that, which is the genesis of Keith Williamson's question. He's right here in San Diego. He says, after listening to the most recent episode with Andy Mariner, call sign grand, I was surprised to hear him say that after graduation, lots of Top Gun graduates stick around on the staff. Lots go to adversary squadrons. And it sounded like only a very rare few go back to the RAG or whatever it's called these days. Technically, Keith, it's the FRS. Even fewer, he continues, if any, go back to their actively deployed squadrons in the fleet, or am I mistaken? Keith goes on, I thought the spirit of the school was to train the top pilots and top scope from each squadron in the fleet and then have them go back to their squadrons and teach their brethren what they learned. How do they do that if they end up staying on the staff or going to adversary squadrons, etc.? I do realize that by definition, they are still teaching if they remain at the school or in an adversary squadron, but what about the actively deployed squadrons in the fleet? Well, Keith, it sounds like you might be under the old paradigm, which was the power projection course. We talked about this with Brad Elward a little bit. In the old days, they used to pluck lieutenants out of their squadrons, send them to Top Gun, and they'd go right back to their squadrons. And these days, it's changed with the Strike Fighter Tactics Instructor Program, where you leave your first tour You go to Top Gun en route to whatever it is you're going to do next, and then after whatever you do next, then you go back to a fleet squadron, not necessarily the one you left, as the training officer. That's what I did, even though I went through back in 2000. That changed, I think it was around 1996. So yes, I left VFA 86. I stayed at Top Gun on the N7 staff, and then after that, I went to VFA 97 as their training officer. And that is the paradigm today. So what you asked in your question is essentially what they used to do prior to 1996, but still a good question. All right, cool. Well, hey, let's get to some details on the filming of everyone's favorite first movie, Top Gun. We'll see how Top Gun Maverick does later. We've got some information coming up on it, but in the meantime, let's get to it. Here we go. All right, I am excited today because not only am I back in the studio, but I'm here with two gentlemen who were personally involved in the filming of the 1986 Top Gun. First up, I've got former Lieutenant of the Navy, John Semkin, call sign Smegs, and I've also got Commander Jim Ray Jambo, who is retired from the United States Navy Reserve. Gentlemen, welcome. Hey, Good thanks to be here. Great thanks to for your having us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about this because we've been working on this for a couple weeks yeah. to get uh, here today. and. In-studio interviews are always so much more fun because we've got refreshments, we've got each other, and we can have a little uh, bantering. So Great setup <laughs> And here. you guys obviously yeah. have some history, so this will be good. Cool. 
I tell you what, before we get into your involvement in the filming and the movie, and we're even going to talk a little bit at the end about what you see coming with the sequel, let's get to know you gentlemen both. So uh, how about Jambo? I'll start with you. Tell us where you're from, where you went to school, and some military career highlights, and maybe what you're doing now. Sure. Well, uh, I'm one of the rare natives of California, so I was born in uh, San Diego. My dad was in the aerospace business. Back when California had aerospace. had aerospace. (laughs) But at a pretty young age, that took us out to Colorado. I went to high school there, University of Colorado, graduated, uh, came in the Navy through the Avrock program. Yeah. I think you're familiar. So if you're Mm -hmm. not familiar, if you're listening, it's basically a commissioning source. The military uses service academies and then officer candidate school, basically. Mm -hmm. Or ROTC. So once I got my commission, I went to flight training down in Beeville, Texas, flew the uh, T-2, the A-4. My first choice actually was to go fly F-8s, but they said they don't have guns in them, only cameras. So I said, okay, forget that. <laughs> uh, came out to Miramar in, uh, I think it was 79. Went through the RAG. It took about a year or so. Yeah. My first squadron, VF-213. I went to Top Gun as a student between my first and second cruise, which is kind of a standard blueprint. Finished up my second cruise. I must have fooled enough people because I ended up getting orders to the school via the safety school up in Monterey, which... Yeah, it's like, I guess I'll say it. We can cut it if we need to. But it's kind of like having some disease in your health record. You don't want people to know about it, right? It's like, oh, you're a safety officer. It's like, oh, man. So that added a couple extra months to my tour. But I always like to joke that I'm a slow learner. But I was at Top Gun for, what, 41 months. Wow. It was a long tour. But obviously one of the highlights, the highlight of my naval career. When I left Top Gun, I thrashed around a little bit in the civilian world. Finally got picked up by an airline maybe about a year or so out of the cockpit. Then I got picked up in the reserves, uh, flew the F-14 in the reserves, left there, got picked up by a VFC squadron, okay. and then commandered out because they were moving up to Fallon and finished my time basically in a drill status and yeah. retired as a commander. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So you said F-8s, RF-8s, you didn't want them. What did you go to instead? I don't know if you said it. I missed Tomcats. it. Okay. For some reason, I was thinking maybe F-4s. But... Yeah. What I left out there at the end was, you may have the same experience, but I learned in the airline business, when you get a paycheck, you run to cash it, and you never get rid of a uniform. <laughs> the, the company's probably going to change three or four times, which yeah. it did. So yeah. I was a PSA guy, and then uh, U.S. Air, and finally, at the end, was American. Yeah, at the end. So How good is that? Anyway. Well, I just went over my five-year anniversary recently, and I haven't had to switch uniforms yet, thank Not goodness. Yet. But yeah. All right, Smegs, over to you. Uh, same story there. I grew up in Long Island, New York. I used to talk like this, <laughs> and I had to stop because people thought I was stupid, right? So my family moved during my senior year in high school to Illinois, or as I said then, Illinois. And then I got an appointment to the Naval Academy. I went to the Navy. I uh, was an aerospace engineering major there, obviously wanted to be a pilot. I went to Pensacola after graduation. I went to Beeville, Texas and VT-26, and I was in VT-24. You were probably 25. (laughs) (laughs) So I flew T-2s and A-4s, and then went through the whole selection process like you do. Because I was an aero major at Navy, I never missed a question in flight school. You know, I was in the little group that we grew up, that we graduated. I was the highest grade point average of all the guys who graduated. So and they said, okay, list your things. You know, when you, where do you want to go? Co- West Coast, East Coast airplanes. You know, well, in those days you had F8s, F4s, and F14s still, but, you know, not much. So I put F14s East, F14s West, F14s East, F4s West, F4s East, F8s West, F8s East, A6s East, because I was married to a girl in the Navy. And she could only be in San Diego or Norfolk. So those were my only choices, right? <laughs> so, of course, I got A6s East. 
You know, my last choice. I go, <laughs> and then one of the sur grads, I don't know if you had them, you know, students who plow back yeah, as an instructor. We've about on the show. Right. Uh-huh. And so the only reason guys would do that is you plow back because you get guaranteed your first selection. Uh-huh. Okay. So he had F 14s West. And the night before I was leaving to go to Norfolk, his wife had a baby and he couldn't take in the only slot. Oh, so they had to pick someone to do it. They picked me <laughs> and I went from A6s East to F 14s West, which was my first choice. Wow. So I ended up flying F-14s. The biggest distinction of my naval career is I was the assistant LSO under Jambo. <laughs> and, you know, and you don't know, Jambo is, you know, it's Swahili for hello, you know, but we heard his name a lot when we were in uh, uh, Mombasa. But we were in VF-213 together. I went to Miramar in 80, and I went, my first was VF-213. And then after my first tour of duty, I went through Top Gun. I graduated Top Gun in 83. You know, and then I was on the Admiral's staff, and they said, we need somebody to be the advisor for this movie they're going to make about Top Gun. How many of you guys went to Top Gun? And there was three or four guys on the staff. We had our hands up. He says, okay, we need one of you guys to volunteer to be the advisor. Boom, all four hands went down. <laughs> and he goes, okay, Semkin, you're the junior guy. He throws the script at me, and they forced me to be the advisor for the movie. And so then, you know, I went through the whole movie thing. I did all of the coordination with Rat. And, Willard. you know, Jambo was with Willard. Rat Willard over at Top Gun. And so you had the flying and you had the rest of the craziness. And then the only thing I did during the flying was, during the actual flying was at Fallon, I was on the ground calling the maneuvers when they were coming into the camera. I used a little right. mirror and they'd just fly at me. I didn't do any of the bogey stuff, you know, because all that stuff was mm-hmm. um, done remotely, you know, on cameras in the airplanes. And then after that, ABC heard that I did a great job on Top Gun and asked me to to go be the advisor for the miniseries War in Remembrance. Hmm. And I said, well, you know, said, you're going to use the Navy? And they said, no, why would we use the Navy? <laughs> I said, well, I'm a naval officer. And they said, well, can you do that? I said, no, I'm a naval officer. I can't do it. And they said, do you know how much this job pays? And I said, I, I have no idea. And they said, $7,000 a week. <laughs> I went, well, I'll I'm making $31,000 a <laughs> year. year. <laughs> I think I can, I can fix that. <laughs> so I said, but there's a problem there, too. I, it takes six months to resign my commission. And they said, we don't start for seven. I said, I'm your guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, you know, I hated the movie business. I just hated the people. I hated the job. I hated this backstabbing. I hated everything about it. But I, I got paid a lot of money for a year, and then... Oddly enough, you know, the guy who was the advisor for the first Winds of War was a Navy captain who the producer promised he'd give him the job if he ever got out of the Navy. Well, I'm halfway through the movie and that guy gets out of the Navy and they say, what's his job? You got to go. <laughs> you know, so I left and I started another little company and I just hated it. And so I said, that's it. Uh-huh. And I walked into a real estate office and said, this is what I want to do. And then uh, I've been very, very, very lucky. I started out in office leasing. I was the developer for Staples Center in downtown L.A. I did two failed football stadiums in L.A. I came in second both times. You never want to come in second when they're only going to do one. (laughs) (laughs) And so now I'm I'm a real estate developer, and I have projects, you know, around the country. Smegs, we have a lot of people that listen to this show who have different questions about their careers and will they like this or that or the other. You and I only just met before coming in the studio, but are you willing to share a little bit more about how you ended up on the fighter staff? Because from what I understand, there's a little bit more to that that I think could be encouraging for people, depending on the details, which I only... Well, they're not, it's not good. I was medically grounded. It was a temporary job for me. And so then what happened up happening is I 
I ended up doing the movie, and gotcha. then I was going to go back to flying, but I got out. Well, believe half of what you hear and nothing of what you see, because well, I, what did they I'd, tell you? I'd heard something that it was a choice that you had made, and that like Cougar's situation in the beginning of the movie was roughly based on you saying, "Hey, I'm done. I'm out of this." But uh, no, medical. I was getting a divorce and all that other stuff, and so I said, "Hey, I need to take some time off." So that's basically how it happened yeah okay. that's, it's not untrue but the cougar thing had nothing to do with me i <laughs> i never had a problem landing on the ship <laughs> <laughs> well we'll get into all that in a second all right so we know how you ended up involved in the filming for you jambo or is it jambo or is that what you keep saying am i jambo 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 in africa they call it jambo all right okay, okay well we're in it's san jambo. diego so we're gonna go again <laughs> Jambo, you were, I guess, on the staff, and so they came along and said, all right, we're doing this movie, and we're not going to today get into all the details of the article that was written, and then along come uh, the guys who said, that sounds cool, let's make a movie, but you were on the staff, and the orders came down from on high that someone's got to be involved in this filming business? Yeah, well, actually, I think there's a little bit of that process that's worth talking sure, about. absolutely. Because you haven't been there on the staff, understand that the workload, I remember going through there as a student. And I was in awe. I'd show up there six o'clock in the morning, you know, and you just <laughs> like, the sleep out of your yeah, <laughs> rubbing the sleep out of your eyes and rack scars. And here are these guys, gig lines perfect, the boards all set up, ready to go, the music's <laughs> on, the lights are perfect, and they're just nailing this, yeah. you know, like man. It's like, didn't I see you at the bar last night <laughs> hanging from the trapeze at about like eleven thirty? <laughs> in any case, we were short staffed then, and demands on the squadron were really high. And in the middle of all this, we get tasked. I remember it was one of these all hands. Everybody has to go into ready, you know, classroom two. Okay. So just that alone, it's like, come on, skipper, I'm busy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing stuff. So anyway, we get in there and here's these civilians. I don't know who they are. And they have these little eight and a half by 11 things they call treatments. Right. right? So a treatment is basically like the cliff notes of okay. this story. And they give us a little brief, like, hey, we're going to make this movie about this and such and such. And I'm just kind of not really filtering any of this stuff. <laughs> and they say, okay, come on, faster and funnier. Yeah. So they give us this thing to read. And about, I mean, it's 30 seconds. You can hear people laughing out loud. They're snickering. It's like, you got to be shitting me. Sorry, but I mean, <laughs> okay. you know, that's the kind of stuff that's coming out. And these people are shocked. I mean, they're used to people kissing the ring, uh-huh. right? And we're like... No, 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 no. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And I really do think it was a little bit shocking. Well, and at that time, the script was not anything like it ended up. Being. Yeah. I mean, this was, but the story itself, uh, frankly, I don't really remember the deals, but it was ridiculous. Well, to give you an idea, in the original script, Kelly McGillis was a waitress at a Bonanza Steakhouse and an aerobics instructor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And Cougar was supposed to like have a ramp strike like in the opening scene. Oh yeah. And the Navy's like, uh no, we don't we need to And Goose died and, in a midair collision. collision which, in a midair. Right. Which okay. I nixed so that. Story, I mean, so that I mean it was yeah. just a lot of it. But even that level of detail wasn't in it. But the story itself was dumb. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well it was. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it was. And more about that in a while too. So as I recall. They basically tried to collect themselves and say, well, really, I mean, this is just the first draft. And we're like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'm busy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they left. Well, within a few days, the word came down, you know, from the heavy callers. (laughs) In the Navy. Uh, The Navy Mm -hmm. said that, no, the Department of Defense, the Navy Department has decided that we are going to do this. The Chief of Naval Operations. So the next time that we got together... The conversation basically went something like this, and I'll credit Rat with this, saying, okay, guys, look, we understand we have to play, but 
this is our football, this is our sandbox, and here are the rules. <laughs> and the rules were basically, you're not going to do anything to make us look bad, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. what you do has to make sense. That was the subtext to a lot of battles that went on that. for quite a while. Cassidy, Admiral, Admiral Cassidy, Cassidy. Mm-hmm. yeah, he was not happy that, you know, this had to happen, right? You know, in those days, the court-martial was going on from the previous movie, right? So you kind of skipped over that when you were talking about how you got selected to be the guy? Yeah. Yeah, because the final countdown had come out a couple years before. Yeah, the final countdown, and CO was being court-martialed for some complete BS thing, you know. Related to the movie and the film. Related to the film. Actually, he got a VHS VHS machine. When we were in the Navy, there was reel-to-reel film, (laughs) right? You know, And so he said, well, you know, I can't leave this on the ship. So he put it in the box. When the film crew leaves, they leave everything. They paid for it. They leave it, right? They don't want it back. It's not a gift. It's just it saves them time, right? So he put it in a box. He puts it in his garage because he knew the guys on the ship would steal it out of the ready room. When the squadron went back to sea, he took it out of the garage and put it back in the squadron. And so that happened a couple of times. And then when the whole thing came out about, or were you giving them free flight time? He said, no, they were just filming me on the way back. We had to go back to the base and they were filming us on the way back to the base. It wasn't coordinated, right? Mm -hmm. And so they were suspecting him. So they said he must have gotten some. So they went through his house and in his garage, in a box, in his garage, not in his living room, you know, to plug in that he was using, but in the box, in his garage was the VCR and they accused him of accepting a gift. Which back then those were expensive. These days you can get one for $20. Yeah. Well then it was like two grand. Exactly. (laughs) So Admiral Cassidy wanted to have plausible deniability. So after he picked me, he said, here's what the deal is. Don't do anything illegal. Don't kill anybody. Don't make us look stupid. That's all he said to me. And I'm sure he said the same thing to Rat because Rat was in the meeting. And so it completely goes with what you just said. And that was our only rules. And I never really had to report back to him again. You know, it was weird. As long as you know those rules. So we might be getting ahead, but, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, real life is boring. Let's face it, right? They don't want to see a three-hour debrief of a sort of you just did. On the other hand, if you want to make it compelling, you have to take some liberties. So I'm guessing there was a lot of back and forth or food fights or whatever you want to call it. But at some point, you've got to make it interesting or no one will show up to watch it. Yeah, well, at one point, and I wish I should have referenced my buddy Greg Dishart Hollywood, the real Hollywood, but we were reminiscing about a specific time in which we cornered Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, I do believe, up in the passageway with just a head of steam with all these things, like you were talking about, Mm -hmm. reality versus what they're trying to pitch. And I don't remember which, but I think it was Don Simpson who basically said, guys, look, this is not a documentary. That was our key. (laughs) That was our key. This is not a documentary. And I'm going to paraphrase, but in so many words, he said, this is going to have great flying unbelievable music and both you guys are going to get laid <laughs> and from that point on <laughs> well now that we have our priorities straight then you kind of understand that we kind of shifted our attitude in realizing that that's the product that they're shooting and the demographic that they're shooting for and mm-hmm. so we kind of ratcheted down the pressure a little bit a little bit yeah john has some really good insight into some of the stuff that happened kind of post-production or very close to that, that my mind made the movie come together because without it, it would have been a disaster. And we'll get to that for sure. But the thing was what Jambo and Rat and those guys did for the flying stuff, it's a Top Gun curriculum. First flights, 1v1, 2v2. Then they threw in a little bit. Maverick has to be a Maverick, right? He breaks the hard deck and he goes blah, blah, blah. And then it's the dogfight scenes. 
it's very simple. And so TopCon scripted out every flight. Okay, now, of course, they were a lot closer than we would, you know, the missile wouldn't even arm before it would yeah. hit, but they had to be in the same airspace for the camera, right. right? That's where it really changed. In the original script, it was nuts. Goose dies in a midair collision. There's three accidents. Two airplanes hit each other. Another one gets shot down, okay? And then another one crashes on the deck. Okay, four accidents. So we lost four F-14s in an hour and a half. And I said, these are the Navy's best pilots, you idiot. We're not doing that. <laughs> well, so clearly... There were some liberties on their part. You had to kind of push the I believe button a little bit, but it was a give and take. And ultimately, like you said, from that first meeting to what we all saw in May 1986 was quite a change. And I've got some notes here I want to ask about, and then we've actually got some listener questions as well. So let's focus on, if it's all right with you gentlemen, the aerial filming and not just from the air, but the flying, I'm trying to say. Right. I don't care about the love scene or the house in Oceanside. Well, or... Jambo and I auditioned for the love Did scene. You? Yeah. <laughs> but they said we were too good. <laughs> Moving on. This is why I didn't want to talk about that. <laughs> to set the stage. So filming. I mean, obviously Miramar features heavily. They never really brought Fallon into the story, but a lot of filming took place in Fallon. Were there any mm-hmm. other physical locations, if you will? Physical locations for filming of the flight stuff? Yeah. Well, you have the flight line at Miramar. Well, you got got the the air stuff out over the ocean where they were flying behind the Learjet. So you could tell that. I was not there then. Okay. So the only thing I was not physically there was when they flew behind the Learjet. So that's Jambo. You were sort of the sheepdog for everything. The Well, I was on the ground calling all the maneuvers for everything on the ground when they were on the ground. Right. But I mean, when the Paramount people were on any military base, you were right there with them. For everything. Right. But but those are fun stories we tell later. But the flying (laughs) behind the Learjet is a good story. Yeah. So the majority, if not all of the multi-plane stuff was done out over Whiskey 291, which are off the coast of San San Diego. Mm -hmm. And you know, again, interesting to note that that treatment that I was talking about, I think it was there or maybe after that, we became aware of the fact that the extent of the aerial filming was going to be a guy named Clay Lacey. I think it was the United Airlines guy. He United, but, but he owned Clay Lacey Aviation. Avi- and he, aviation. And he, he has amazing business and amazing reputation. So every time... In fact, our company Jet's still with him. In the past, when you would see like fly our beautiful airline and the sunset and the thing goes off in the distance. That was more than likely Clay Lacey that did that. Okay. He had a purpose built camera set up in the back of a Lear. I think it was, a, it was, was a telescope that went down from the belly of a Learjet and pointed backwards and it could, it could and swivel could all over there. And so these guys were flying behind a Learjet, but that was the extent that was going to be it. So there was going to be basically fly behind, break left, break right, aileron roll, And it's just like, can you imagine if that was the extent of it? Because most people agree what made that movie was the flying and the music. Right. Okay. If that was the extent of the flying, I think people would be very disappointed. So with some input from us and a little bit of tweaking with Nav Air, we were able to end up mounting cameras in the airplanes, which I'll jump ahead. But I think for this next variant is going to be just leaps ahead. Wait, uh, what, like just cam- what we've seen in the trailers, but we'll, inside. Yeah. we'll yeah. get to that. But yeah. that was not in the original plan. There were not going to be airplane mounted, airframe mounted or cockpit mounted cameras from what I know. They made an application to Grumman to modify the F-14, but they didn't know that they were going to get it. Okay. So when they were first doing the Learjet and then they put guys in the back seat with cameras, I think Heater actually carried a camera in one of the flights. And then we had... You know, when the space shuttle goes up in the air, those rockets and zoom in and everything, and say, we had one of those that the Air Force gave us. Hmm. So we ended up having airplane-mounted 
you know, where you're seeing the F-14 in the front and the F-5 behind and vice versa. There's a camera mounted in an F-14 and there's guys in the back seat of an F-14 sometimes taking a shot. There's guys in the Learjet. The problem with the Learjet, oddly enough, and you never flew the F-14, so you don't know, the F-14 rolls like a turtle. Okay, it, it doesn't yeah. roll very well. And so they were trying to make the F-14 look better by speeding up the film. Remember that? Oh, yeah. A couple of those made it in. I know. It's a nightmare. But the Learjet could fly, you know, 400 knots, mm-hmm. but the telescope vibrated above 280. Okay, so the camera work didn't work. So the Learjet had to fly at 280 knots. So at high wall of speed. Yeah. And 280 knots. And so 280 knots of the Tomcat with your wings back. Remember, they wanted to have the wings back. Of course. The airplane lose 3,000 feet in one roll. And so they figured, well, we can do that by just speeding up the film. Well, you got the F-14 coming out of the picture and the F-5s go... Yeah. <laughs> it was really a mess. At some point, they must have figured out external cameras on the Tomcat because there's a lot of scenes. They did. Feels- oh, yeah. No, no, they but, did. But no, when man. it began, that was the extent of it was going to okay. be the Lear. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just want to be clear about that. These guys was really great. I wasn't there when the dailies came in for the first day. All the guys from Top Gun and Rat were in the... I was there for the so, filming. I wasn't in the airplane. And Rat goes, you're never going to see that footage again. It's out, gone. We're never using it again. And who, why did that happen? The airplanes don't fly like that. Well, we sped up the camera. And Rat says, you're not ever going to do that again. <laughs> That's part of our football sandbox. So just to fill in a little bit, that phrase daily, mm-hmm. they call it the daily rush. You get this raw, basically roughly edited. It was cool as they had laid down some modern you know, top 40 yeah. track over the top of it. <laughs> so it was kind of cool. And I actually had some of those at some time. I have no idea where oh, they wow. ended up. The dailies reflected just that. Typically, it was the day before. See, whatever we did the day before, you'd see it the, the dailies next the next day. Okay. Of course, now everything is done digitally, right? Everything's recorded digitally, but they used real film back then. Mm. And I remember talking to, it might have been Bill Bottolato, but I asked him about, this was probably when the movie first came out. I said, did you guys get enough film for maybe some add-on or maybe some spin-off, whatever? He says, Jambo, we have 200,000 feet of film. Yeah. You've seen a lot of stuff from Top Gun in television shows that Paramount did. That movie about the Navy Jag in Jag, the Jag. Yeah, yeah. The footage there is all from takes <laughs> right. from. I, I don't know a lot about cinematography, but two hundred thousand feet sounds like sounds a lot. Like a lot. <laughs> well, we got sixteen <laughs> frames a second, but the frames are only an inch. But it was a lot of film. Yeah. So we talked about Miramar and Fallon and out over the ocean. What about on the Enterprise? Were either of you involved with that? Or was that well, we like a whole talk, different? Did you talk unit? about Fallon? We didn't talk about Fallon yet. Not well, but Fallon is the best part of what because Fallon was the stuff where you really saw the guys flying. They went out on a helicopter and found a place, right? I don't even remember the operating area that it was, but we're on a mesa and all around us, the land was lower or were caverns going down into... It was outside of Bravo 20. Right. So down into the desert bottom. So we're 2,500 feet above the desert bottom. So the airplanes could, could fly right at us or come from behind us and do a maneuver and do that and still have plenty of room. Or they fly around us. Okay. And that's, you see the scenes where there's an A4 mm-hmm. chasing an F-14, and they're literally below us. And then as a couple of times, if you have the DVD of the movie, and you go frame by frame, and it looks like they went behind, and that's where Goose says, watch out for the mountain, mm-hmm. and it looks like he went right behind a rock. It's not. It's a cameraman. Okay? <laughs> and it goes so fast, you can't, it's 16 frames a second, so yeah. you get one sixteenth of them, you know? And so they literally, it was a cameraman, and the thing was following the airplanes, and so they literally flew behind it, and it was so unbelievable. We all know how fun it is to fly the airplanes, mm-hmm. but to sit on the ground, 
I was a little bit jealous, by the way, you know, <laughs> I'm saying that, but the sit on the ground was unbelievable. And then a couple of the scenes when they're coming, that's the scene. One of the pilots was sent home. But the theme of all of us was it wasn't a documentary. From that day on, mm-hmm. it's not a documentary. As long as you could do it, okay, and it wasn't illegal, we were going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. But fly by the tower without permission, never going to happen. You never fly again, right? right? But so airplanes coming right at us. I'm on top of the hill. Tony wanted to see the airplane roll. I go, okay. So they told the camera, said, look, when he rolls, he's going to have to pull his nose up a little bit to end up straight coming at you, okay? Because the airplane doesn't roll very well. And they said, so when he he pulls up, you're going to slowly pull the camera up because when he does that, you don't want to jerk the camera up because you're going to have to do that to follow him. And Rat had briefed everybody, says, you're going to become right at Smegs. He's going to call it. When the camera's ready for you to go, he's going to call roll. And so these guys are coming right at me. And I say, okay, roll. The airplane roll and the airplane would dip down and come back up. And so, and then we're all ready to go. And Tony would say, action. I say, roll. Okay. And they're still coming at me. There are a little bit of ways in the cameras, you know, getting the close up. On one of the scenes, and only one, a pilot rolled without me calling him because he shouldn't have, because he was really close. And he thought he was not that bad. And he rolled and the airplane went down. We're up here. He's coming at us. And I'm saying, Everybody, you know, hit the deck, okay? And I yelled at him like I was an LSO, power, 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 power! (laughs) And and he went to full afterburner and pulled up, and I don't want to exaggerate. He was close enough that he blew all the cameras over, all the camera equipment off the cliff, okay, and knocked us all over. So you pick how close he was. He was really freaking close. And so we took him back, and Rat sent him, you're going home, okay? Because he just was trying to be, you know, can you imagine? Had he crashed that airplane, there would never have been a top Oh, gun. gosh, yeah. yeah. And so, and Rat would never have been an admiral. <laughs> it would have broke one of the three rules you talked about. It would have broke two, at least, of right. the three rules. So a lot of Fallon stuff as well. We don't necessarily have to get into the storyline now as far as they're down there from the sake of the movie, the final product of it, rooting around, looks to me, between rocks, and all of a sudden, they go ballistic, and then, oh, he's going to break the hard deck. Well, just... 30 seconds ago, you guys were down at 100 feet. But. Yeah. He's heading out to sea in a flat spin. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so the problem was we filmed over the water, right? Mm-hmm. But that's not why they said that. What happened is they're being rescued in a raft in the water. That was added at the very end, and it shouldn't have been. They could have said they're heading out to sea you know, while they're doing the dogfight. And then they could say he's in a flat spin, but they said he's in a flat spin heading out, out to sea. It's like the bogus line of the entire We all know it. Again, they added that and we didn't know it. You know, they wanted to do an ailer run roll off the catapult. You wanted to ask about the Enterprise. So they yeah, said, yeah. you know, we need the pilots to take off. You know, they had the airplane there that, mm-hmm. you know, and they want them to do an aileron roll off the catapult. <laughs> I said, you guys nuts? Yeah. <laughs> I said, the F-14A doesn't roll, and it's only doing 160 miles an hour, and when it goes off the end of the ship, it is not going to roll. Uh-huh. You know. So they said, well, we want that. I said, well, you're not going to get it. I said, what we'll do is we'll do a flyby, and we'll come by the ship, and then we'll pull the airplane up, and we'll do a roll going up in the With air. With the ship in the background. With the ship yeah, in the background. Yeah. And all they did was cut that footage to right after takeoff. Right. And so it makes it look like he did a roll, but all of us who fly the airplane know the airplane would have, you know, not even gone through a quarter of the roll before it hit the water. Creative editing. And again, we don't need to necessarily pick apart all the little editing things, but no, there are a lot. Uh, there's an unbelievable amount. Yeah. And with the exception of he's heading out to sea in a flat spin, mm-hmm. everything else we allowed them to do. Okay. Everything. And the reason was is because we wanted it to be cool. 
I think you succeeded. Yeah. Do, do you know, though, for the Enterprise, did they apply some filters, or was that just the light they had that oh, day? Oh, it was so beautiful. To answer the question directly, I don't know. Okay. I would guess that they probably did. But one of the signatures of a Tony Scott movie is lighting. And I remember sitting down with him at one time because all the filming we were doing, basically we were briefing at dark in the morning, so we'd take advantage of the morning light. Mm-hmm. And he did a little physics thing about, you know, blue light and how it's scattered and all this kind of stuff. And if you go back and look at it, you'll notice a couple things. First of all, you get richer colors with low light angles and you get really strong shadow. So virtually all of the airborne stuff, except for the stuff we did over the water. Yeah, which you couldn't uh, do. Was taken, you know, like motorcycle going down, you know, F-14 going by sunset, right? In fact, Mm -hmm. it was almost dark when they filmed that because it took a while to set up. That's a signature in a lot of his movies. He's really big on lighting. That's part of the reason. And then the post-production, I think the filtering was added for movie. Well, actually, they had a bunch of filters they put on the cameras while we're filming. Whatever they call the guy who does the... Kimball was his name, but I don't remember the name of his job. But they were always trying different filters, and Tony's looking through the lens. He goes, that's it. But the truth is, I think that that was Tony's way of stalling because he never wanted to say rolling until the sun was, till you had a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally the whole movie, you'd think the only time we flew was, you know, 20 minutes before sunset and 20 <laughs> no, minutes after sunrise. it's remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how we, that's... Once I've mentioned that to people, I go, hey, you know what, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. And that's how we did it. He was very talented. He was a complete pain in the ass, okay? He got everything he wanted that we allowed him, okay? But he fought us all the way to the end. And he wasn't shy about expressing his opinion. No, 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 no. So he fit right into it. Yeah. In that he didn't know any other. He couldn't put a sentence together without the F bomb. He, yeah. He, he couldn't. It was In fact, impossible. I learned a couple of creative ways to string. To use it. String, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. New ways. That's saying something since you were in the Navy yourself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And to that point, right, in the opening scene of the movie after the flight deck scene, you have them out there meeting the MiG-28s, and then a little bit later, they're landing, and it looks like a Case 3, you know, night landing. Exactly. Just well, and you've just addressed this on other um, venues you've been on, talking about the filming. We can link to some of those that you did for that Facebook group a year or two ago. But part of the problem you had out over the water, Jambo, was you guys would do a pass, and the camera, just because of the limitations of a camera, hey, that's what we do in real life. But man, that thing is a speck. It's right. way too far away, so you got to get right. them closer and closer and closer. And that became, as I understand... Not a limb fact, but in a sense, a big deal about, hey, if we're going to go do this, we need to really risk manage this because that's what aviators do. It, and those you guys per- are going to stay still. We'll fly by you. Right. And, and when you see it, you don't even think about it, most people. But right. yeah, those F5, T3, you know, MiG-28s, whatever, yeah. they're going by those Tomcats pretty close. The guy that could speak about that with authority is Dave Baranek Bio. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of people listen to your podcast are oh, yeah, familiar with him. He's and, got uh, his own show, actually. Yeah, and written uh, some really great books. Yep. Yeah, they would fly by, and it's like, you need to get closer. And it's like, no, that was close. And for those who don't know, you know, we have rules of engagement. <laughs> I basically say, mm-hmm. in training, you know, unless a trend is established, you're going to pass left to left and not inside of 500 feet. Well, <laughs> that's in a training environment in dogfighting. This is not a training environment. It's a static dynamic static environment in that sense everybody's maneuvering in a way that's expected but still to do that it's really like trying to thread a needle at 500 yeah. plus miles well, an hour you were at top gun he was a top gun instructor right mm-hmm. so when you're coming into the pass you're both doing this at the same time turning into you're each both other turning in into mm-hmm. each other right well in the movie 
you'll notice that when the F-5 goes by, the F-14's wings level. Yeah. Okay? Because Rat said to the pilot, whoever it was at the time, don't you turn into me. Because they had to keep getting the F-5 closer. Closer and closer. closer And closer and closer and closer. He says, I'll miss you. Just don't you turn. And so basically that's what happened. And then it was so close that in the F-14, there was a camera in the back seat that we used to film the actors. And we took them up in flight and everything, but most of them didn't look very good. Yeah, I heard. And yeah. so we couldn't use any of that footage, but also we had real Rios in the back seat with the actors' helmets on, right? And so those guys would turn around. You'd see them turn around and say, the F5 go by it. And the, so right. that was just the camera from inside the airplane, you know, recognizing it. Or sometimes it was the one that was mounted, but it happened so quickly, as you know, you're, boom, you're past them and you wouldn't know it. Right. All of that stuff ended up in the movie. You know, because it was compelling. Um, yeah, it was good. And you said in the other uh, video I referenced on the Facebook group that I guess the crew and the Tomcat could hear the other aircraft go by, oh, which absolutely. is an anomaly because usually we have that safe separation. If you're flying next to them in formation, that's one thing. Right. But when they go zipping by with as much ambient noise as there is in the airframe in the cockpit with all the ECS fans going, that's rare. But it wasn't necessarily BFM at that point. It was in a sense, a training evolution of we need to get this footage. Right. So here's how we're going to do it. You're yeah, going to stay was, still, we're going to go by you. But I mean, absolutely exceptional yeah. Yeah. and really a testament to the skill of the people that put it together and knowing like, okay, they're pushing for this. We're going to take it in a little bit closer. For those people who are listening who don't understand, I don't think I'm exaggerating to say even at the slower speeds that they were closing at around 1,000 feet per second. So you don't have a lot of time. No. Rat's briefing his guys, right? And he briefed the F-14 crews and F-5 or A-4 crews at the same time. Mm -hmm. He said, okay, here's what you got to do. And it wasn't always Rat in the F-5. The only time you you see Rat in the F-5 is when there's a picture of the bad guy. With a helmet. That's Rat. Uh Okay. All the other stuff is just Jambo and Hollywood and the other guys that were at Top Gun at the time. That was their flight. Speaking of that, I've always wondered, what did they use for the controls they made the bad guys use? Because he, at one point, shoots a missile with his left hand. Yeah, well, that's just <laughs> back. They just turned the camera. I don't well, know. <laughs> I rewatched all the flying scenes this morning for professional yeah. development. Of course, I watch it every morning. No, yeah. But yeah, I was like, wait, that's his left hand. But of course, again, we're not going to pick apart like, you know, there's times when he's going to hit the brakes and goes right by, but he advances the throttle. Yeah, and no, it's, yeah. So, so one side yeah. note on that, believe me, in this Facebook group, there's a lot of people that have spent a lot of time picking all those oh, things sure. out. Well, this is their passion. Okay. I absolutely get it. On the other hand, John can attest to this. I'm sure when he was doing the TV show, there's a person or persons on a set. Their entire job is to make sure that we're sitting right now in a room with a, in a studio with a table and, and there's some cups and stuff on it. Mm-hmm. That if we broke from filming or recording, they came back that everything is in the exact same place. Right. Nothing's moved, right? Mm-hmm. You have your hair combed the same way. So they do the same thing. So it's kind of funny that they did miss, but those were really gross errors. One thing in particular I thought was pretty funny was uh, Bio talks about when he was flying out over the water, they told the guys, helmet, mask, visor down, and gloves on. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with I this? I know where you're going, yeah, but it's good. So <laughs> he decided, well, I'm going to take my gloves off so that when the movie comes out, somebody comes by, and if there's a guy back there with his gloves off, I'll know it's me. <laughs> And they caught him. Yeah, you in the they back seat. Or I thought it was his, it rolled the sleeves up. Might, it might have been yeah, sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to, because right, there were so many different yeah. pilots Go, involved. Sorry, yeah, gloves. And they all looked the same. He yeah. was doing something to, to kind of distinguish himself. But he got caught. Yeah. Well, that is interesting, because in that opening scene, they used the E and the F5 
interchangeably. At one point, it's yeah. two single seats, and then the very next frame, it's a two seat. Well, there are only two of them so, painted black, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we had three, and we painted two of them. We painted two okay. of them black. So, so they just had to keep And what was funny is if you watch closely, they put on this paint that rubberized, rubberized yeah. paint that peels off. You can off. see it. Come, so you can see off. And a couple of airplanes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> big, the big chunks. Right? Because yeah. the unknown country didn't have good uh, corrosion control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll go with that. Because you can see the yeah. desert. Yeah, yeah, also yeah. in the opening scene on that landing sequence with Cougar is an F-14, which is doing some pretty heavy wing rocking. Any idea how they filmed that? Oh, yeah. That was it coming into Miramar. Miramar. Okay. Yeah. So they just set up some cameras, what, at the end of the they runway? At the end of the runway, actually, and it were coming in from west to east. Okay. Okay. So from the ocean side. Yeah, because in. if you notice, it's the sun is in, in yeah. the okay. background. Okay. And they just had a guy doing this. Uh, he looked like he was getting pretty aggressive. Did they just zoom in or? They were going faster than they needed to, so they felt comfortable doing okay. that. And light. You yeah. know, the airplane oh, didn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had. Bowed out of gas and no yeah, weapons right. or yeah. tanks or anything. Yeah. So that was yeah. interesting. All right. So then they go to Top Gun and uh, Mav gets to go fly Jester. And uh, again, I've already talked about the, you know, rooting around between the rocks and then all of a sudden, oh, he's going for the hard deck. Well, <laughs> where were you five minutes ago? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we never, well, just so you know, we yeah. were never above the hard deck. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have seen anything from the cameras, right? <laughs> But let's talk about the tower flyby because I understand that was a bit of a, and it looked like when you watch it, there's a external scene where the towers in the foreground. Two different places. The external scene was filmed at Fallon. Fallon. Oh, it was, right. Not at Miramar. Okay. And then there's one inside the tower, it looks like. There is. Well, here's another thing real quick. That's a five second scene. How many days or weeks or whatever? No, it was an entire day. One whole day. One whole day for this five second thing. Okay. You know, and so Bozo. Lloyd Abel. Lloyd Abel, Bozo call sign. I think he was in VF 54 or 24, something with a four. But uh, he was kind of a senior, you know, lieutenant commander in his squadron, you know, and they were going off on a weapons debt and they said, no, 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 no. We only got so many spots. They left him home with the airplane crew to take because he was going to be the pilot. So we meet with Bozo. They said, we want you to fly right by the tower. So the tower's here. You know, well, the tower's, what, three stories in the air, maybe four. <laughs> and so we want you to fly so we can look at you. As look down at you. <laughs> you know, basically look down at you. Yeah. And he says, okay, okay. He says, you know, so they said, we want the wings all the way back. And Bozo says to him, and I said to him, I said, hey, the airplane does not fly very well with the wings back under 300 miles an hour. I mean, you know. The F-14, the wings don't even start going back until you're in the 400, you know, maybe. Yeah, depending on the altitude, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, if you were going to manually put the wings back, you better be going fast if right. you want it to handle. Right. And in fact, and that's how we broke when we come aboard the ship. I don't know how you did it in the F-18, but the F-14 wouldn't slow down because if you had the wings out, the airplane could go around twice before it slowed <laughs> down the landing speed. So we would break with the wings back, speed breaks out, and yank, and the airplane would dissipate power yeah. if speed. No, like we broke with the wings back because it looked shit hot. <laughs> well, I know, but still, that's the only way. <laughs> and we heard the guys couldn't do it. It did look better, but you couldn't slow <laughs> down. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, We would try to break right at the back of the ship, right? Right. Yeah. which you guys probably couldn't because you're, you know, no, you we won't did. slow down that fast. But I said, Bozo, okay, here's the deal. I said to the director, I said, Tony, there's two problems. When the airplane doesn't fly very well, with the wings back. I said, so Bozo's going to push the speed a little bit and then he'll come by the tower. More importantly, we don't usually fly and break over the base. We break away from the base because of the light, as Jambo talked earlier. Mm-hmm. He wants the whole sunset during the entire maneuver of the airplane. As you see him coming over the reserve hangar, right. you know, with the E2s and the reserves hangar. Right. He's literally level with the top of the hangar, maybe underneath it a little bit, right? Because he's trying to come by. And I said, when you do that, 
He's going to fly over the Admiral's house. He's going to fly right over Admiral Cassie's house, which was on the golf course. And I said, and so the phone's going to start ringing. I said, there's a phone right here in the tower. I said, there's also a phone at the bottom of the stairs. When it starts ringing, I'm going to walk down and answer the phone at the bottom of the stairs. So you'll have done one flight. You've already done one pass. I walk down there. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Yes, sir. And I'll hang up the phone. And then I'll start walking up the steps slowly. By that time, he'll have come by the second time. When he comes by the second time and he turns over the address, well, that phone's going to start ringing again. Okay? And then I'm going to pick this phone up and I'll say, yes, sir, I'll have him rock it off right away. Knock it off. Okay? I said, Tony, you're going to get three passes. That's it. And he went ballistic. He says, I am not doing I said, Tony, this three is times. This is it. That's all you're going to get. And the guy had to spill his coffee and all that other stuff. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. in but that's all they got was three passes. Bozo was in Buffett coming around the hangar there. Was it, it sketchy? If you talk to him, he says it was safe, but not comfortable. For somebody who's not familiar, the layout of the airfield, when John's talking about breaking towards the airfield, where the tower is, basically behind it, is a lot of the base housing, all oh, yeah. the infrastructure for the sure. base. And then there's a major thoroughfare. It goes into an area called Mira Mesa. Mira Mesa I mean, Boulevard. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's you know, businesses <laughs> and, all, and residential. And of course, F-14, it's going to cut a pretty big swath to do that. Especially so, at that speed. You can't it, turn very fast. Right. So he's zorching around pretty low over... Uh, it was completely legal. The FAA allowed it. Okay. Because okay. they wouldn't allow us to do it if the FAA hadn't said no. Yes. Right. Yeah. Or I wouldn't have allowed him. You had your three rules. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Cool. So then on the next engagement, Maverick's out fighting Viper. And at one point when he peels off of his wingman, and again, there's a whole bit about that, and he starts going head-to-head with Viper, he's got some, it looks like maybe fuel dumping or something happening out the back. And what was going on with that? Tony wanted things to look like, you know, Tony, what can we do about, we want something. I said, well, you know, we could dump some gas out there, you know, and you'll see the airflow off of the wings. Mm -hmm. So we briefed the pilots. I said, listen, you know, hit the dump. We literally just dumped some gas. And this coming at your camera? Out coming in, right uh, at the Fallon. camera. Yeah. So. We said hit the dump. And yeah, so you get that vortex. You get the yeah. vortex yeah. off yeah. the wings. It was just cool. It did. It looked cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't ever dump gas. It's the only thing we have. Gas is life. Altitude yeah. and gas. Yeah, don't just dump it for no reason. But <laughs> right. So in real life, there's no application for doing something like that. But for the sake of the movie, again, you see that almost, uh, what would you call it, like handlebar mustache? Well, it was a vortex coming of, off the tips yeah. of the wing. But yeah. that shows you what the air's doing around the airplane. Right. Yeah. And it was Really, really That's cool. Post documentary, pre documentary that wouldn't happen, but post documentary, yeah. It's like yeah. okay, yeah, that yeah, was, okay. You yeah. know, he wanted us to do things like that, so that's yeah. why we did it. All right. And then on Hop 31, I think it is, when uh, ultimately Goose dies, they've got some footage there. And again, I know you tried to do as much of the footage real as you could, I guess, with the um, communication, right, in the opening scene where they're flipping each other off. I think they filmed those separately and then just kind of laid the film over itself to make it look right. Well, were you but, there for that? Did you do the inverted F-14? I wasn't there. so No. I think it's this. You're the camera. You see that. But if I were coming at you, you'd see this. Okay, yeah. so they're offset laterally. It's I think that's like, how the Blue Angels do Yeah, it. it's yeah. air show. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing is, how does the spectator see it? Yeah. If you actually saw, you know, it looks beautiful, like the diamond formation looks beautiful. If you're actually in it, they'd see all kinds of weird angles right. and all yeah. kinds yeah. of, yeah. yeah. And by the way, the F-14, it, the tail of the F-14 would hit the F-5. Oh, yeah, right? there's yeah. other so, videos on YouTube about, yeah. is it even possible? It's not, but what you were talking about was dialogue, okay? In the original script, there was no dialogue in the movie. Zero. 
What was their plan? I think that's worth a whole. <laughs> well, we get that when you get we'll to get the post production. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so it was just the guys at Top Gun screamed a one v one, a two v two. Maverick breaks the hard deck, and then the scenes where you know there's bogeys. That's all there was in the movie. You know, it was from a fighter pilot perspective, simple. And then Tony, Tony was a television commercial guy. This was his first kind of big movie. Hmm. He was very visual. In fact, he got the job because he was filming a Saab commercial where a Swedish jet takes off over the top of a Saab. But the whole thing about how it was all comes together was just, it was going to be a music video. Dogfighting to music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we saw the is. dailies, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. You know, we're watching the dailies. It looks really cool, but we know what we're doing. Well, it's a music video with an annoying story in the back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so when it came time to film this flat spin, are they just stitching together angles they're getting from different like what's the magic of making the f-14 look like at some point it's just uh, well that's and the, that's the sad control, part with art Scholl. actually that's on my list to ask about uh, too well but. so that, all that was models model it's okay, all done it, with a model it's all done with a model right. yeah. the point of view that you see you're seeing the model spinning well mm-hmm. you know in real life what they had planned to do was to see the sky spinning because what Art Show was filming had the camera facing outwards, and he was in his flat spin, so you'd see the sky going around in the flat spin. If you've always dreamt of a career in aviation while keeping your feet on the ground, then Air Corps Aviation is the place for you. Since 2008, Air Corps Aviation has been at the forefront of modernizing the airworthiness of legacy aircraft dating back to World War II. Their dedicated team specializes in numerous aerospace disciplines, including manufacturing, fabrication, restoration, and support, all while incorporating state-of-the-art technology. In 2024, Air Corps Aviation is expanding its team with job openings in engineering and computer-aided design, quality, fabrication, and restoration. Live where others vacation in northern Minnesota while enjoying paid time off, health insurance and savings accounts, retirement plans, life insurance, and best of all, most Fridays off. If you're ready to be a part of a team fulfilling dreams through the preservation of historical aircraft, visit aircoreaviation.com careers and take your first step towards an exciting career in aviation. That's aircoreaviation.com careers. Visit today. Take a step back. So who's Art Scholl? Art Scholl's a, one of the greatest stunt pilots who, you know, no. was air show pilots who ever lived. Okay. Right. So he's helping film the flat spin, and what happens? It's really unknown. Yeah. He was uh, by himself in his airplane. Pit. He was in a pit. In a pit special. Uh-huh. He was uh-huh. over the water, and he may have been practicing maneuvers, or he may have been filming. I don't know, because a lot of the stuff he would do... He would film that. And of course, post-production, they would take a section of that. Because, I mean, if you're in a theater and watch that for 30 seconds, they'd have to have barf bags yeah. in there, right? Yeah. People would be geeshing all over the place. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just like getting hit with a hammer. When you see the actors up close in mm-hmm. the movie, mm-hmm. that's all filmed at Hangar 34 in Burbank Airport. Right. They had a, a studio stage there. They had a, there they had with a, a, airport, a F-14 cockpit mm-hmm. on a gimbal, mm-hmm. right? But behind him was all the footage that Art had filmed... Okay, in his deal. But the footage that they were doing the day he died was the flat spin footage. Okay. And he took that with him. And that's why you never see that footage to Paramount's credit. And they didn't want to hire somebody else to do it. Mm. And so the movie would have been even better. Okay, had he not crashed, but of course something happened. A lot of people think something happened inside the airplane because Hmm. he had done several of them. And like on the third, I wasn't there that day, but on the third try, he wasn't able to recover. Cover, yeah. Was he out by himself? 
Yes. They didn't have a chase plane or something? No, he had a chase plane filming him, but because they're filming him doing, but it really, uh, what he was really filming was the point of view of the pilot right. during a flat spin. Right. right. I just didn't know if he had a wingman out there. That yeah, day. yeah. Okay. He did. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And the whole thing about, about the flat spin came in because in the original script, Goose died in a mid-air collision. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I said, whoa, okay, okay, okay. I said, this airplane's going 600 miles an hour. It hits this airplane. Everything comes apart and everybody dies. And they said, but if Cruz were to live, he still's never going to fly again because he hit another airplane. Unless he got hit, maybe. And so yeah. Tony says to me, he says, I don't give a shit, Spanks. He dies. <laughs> he lives. It's not his fault. With a couple of F-bombs in between. <laughs> yeah. That is pretty much how the dialogue went. <laughs> yeah. well, you know what? Hey. You know, and he so, was brilliant. Right? And literally, he I don't know if you've probably never seen it because you didn't fly the F-14, but when we were flying originally the F-14, it hadn't started flat spinning yet. The engines were not great in the A. You know, if we see a guy on here, we can't get to him, we can't get to him, we may pull the other way and purposely depart the airplane, so it flips and goes, <laughs> goes you know? the way you want. Okay, yeah. but if you departed the airplane and lost an engine at the same time, right into a flat spin. Yeah, yeah pretty quickly. And so, because when the guys died, nobody could figure out what it was. So they had two guys at Pax River who purposefully put the airplane into a stall and then shut down an engine Wow! and forced it into a flat spin. And we all saw these movies. They're talking like test pilots talk, right? Mm-hmm. You know, okay, passing 30,000 yeah, feet, and spinning it over there. <laughs> G-force yeah. increasing everything, you know, G, you know, stick forward, right rudder, stick forward, left rudder, no, stick back, working. right <laughs> rudder. That, uh, you know, nothing's working. This airplane, we can't change it. You know, they're just matter-of-factly talking as the airplane's passing 24,000 feet. And then you hear from the ground and they say, well, recover. He says, we can't recover. They said, okay, eject. And then the next thing you hear from the cockpit is that the G-force has pulled us forward. We can't lift our arms to grab the ejection handle. And we're sitting on top of the one. We can't eject. We can't get to the handle. And so they're riding the airplane down. And the whole thing sees them talking. They're talking all the way down, all the way down. And then the Rio, because the spins happen somewhere just forward of the tail. So the pilot has the most centrifugal force. Mm. And the Rio's a little bit less. He's four feet behind the pilot, but a little bit less. And then we get about below 10,000 feet. The airplane starts to wobble a little bit. So the G-force is now breaking. The Rio was able to push himself back and grab the handle and pull. Well, the F-14's canopy, you didn't go through it. It it didn't blow off. It just lifted up. The front lifted up. That's how it worked. And then the windstream pulled the canopy away. In theory, right? Right? (laughs) Well, no, that's how it worked. But if you're dropping out of the sky... It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere, right? So if you're spinning in the left, the Rio dies. If you're spinning right, the pilot dies. Okay, because spinning left, the Rio goes out to the right, and a half a second later, the pilot goes out, the Rio hit his head on the canopy. So that's one of the things that people think is the most bullshit. Now, it's not following procedure. Okay, procedure was... Jettison After that happened, jettison the canopy right, and then right. clear. But, you know. They did have, I think, an impact and the Rio broke his leg, I think, or something, right? Where The Rio did get hurt. Okay. I had thought he died, but he no. hit his head on the canopy. Yeah, shoulder, leg, something. Right. Yeah. Okay. But they both he, got out. They yeah. both got out. So yeah. they adapted this to the movie. I thought, okay, fine. We're going to put him in a flat spin. Right, right. And Goose is going to hit the canopy. How about the actual filming? And again, I just watched it this morning. You see some little pyrotechnics. I mean, it looks like a, a pop instead of what we all know as an injection seat burning and yeah. pretty aggressively. Right. But So that was but, filmed, you know, with the Hollywood sign is and Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So there was a little hill up there. We had the same... F-14 model, basically mock-up that we put Mm -hmm. on the gimbal, you know, later in the day, we went out, because if you're in a hangar, you don't need to worry about sunset. 
You know, so we did all the gimbal, the close-up stuff during the day. They quick took the thing because this was going to be one or two takes because it's done. You know, it's yeah. not going to work. So because they put the cockpit they can't, they're on the ground, okay, and they had like a pyrotechnic cannon underneath the F-14 seat. And then they lifted the canopy up with a crane. Okay. And then they hit, <laughs> fire in the hole! <laughs> And it was hysterical. The first one was perfect. Now, the second one, the explosion down here blew the whole sides off the mock-up. And so they put it back together for one more try. But obviously, that was the first take, and that was it. Because the (laughs) second time they blew it up, it It blew up. It blew up. All right. But that was the last time you saw that. But so, you know, they had a couple of cameras. One was going fast. One was going slow. You know, and you could see it was pretty cool. You know, actually, I couldn't believe that they actually hit it. But he hit his head on the canopy. It wasn't a person, I hope. Was it? It was a dummy? No, it was a dummy. Okay, yeah, 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 of course. All right. And then how did they do the, uh, I mean, you got people falling down in parachutes and in the water, I'm guessing they just threw them in the bay here somewhere controlled, but did they go put someone on like a D-West? Oddly enough, I'll tell you that. You know, no, we, that we had, was actually that was the Coast Guard who did that. Well, the did Coast the, Guard had the helicopter. Did the pickup? So they did yeah. all. The... They did the whole thing with the Coast Guard. Okay. They had a couple of Navy SEALs that they had side that, oh. that they rescue paid swimmers. Ex- rescue swimmers. Okay, yeah. Right. There were nearly three deaths in the movie. The first time, <laughs> well, there were there were, the first time Mark Scholl died. Yeah. The second time, the pilot who almost hit the mountain, we could have killed twenty people. Oof. Okay. And then Tom Cruise almost died Oof. because. What would they tell us if we have to eject? I never had to eject. Did you ever have to? And you never did. Okay. But Bio did. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so Bio's ejected because he landed on the ship and the hook broke or the wire separated one or the other. Mm -hmm. And the airplane slowed down and then went off the angle deck. Because he's the Rio, he went out first, and when the airplane started to turn, he went straight up in the air, you know, because the airplane's turning off. His skipper, who was flying... Was a skipper. He went, was a skipper. <laughs> he skipped across the water like a stone. Yikes. Okay? And he was completely fine. He got to the end, and he rolled out. Well, Bios, the junior little, t- you know, ensign, or maybe JG, I don't know, he's floating down in the water. And what do they tell you if you're floating? As soon as your feet hit the water, get rid release of your and get rid of your parachute. Well, Bio didn't. So bio was just covered in the strings and everything. And what happens when the water fills up in the parachute? It takes you down. Well, crews, you know, these guys, Coast Guard guys, they don't know. They didn't have any of us there. We didn't know. None of us were there. And so he's sitting there and his parachute's floating in the water and the helicopter's blowing it down, you know, and the strings are all, you know, from the parachute are hanging all around. They're over Goose and they're over Tom and everything. And the next thing you know, Tom's going, (laughs) (laughs) he's gone. They went down because his parachute filled up with water and took him down Yikes. and the navy seals cut one side of the things and so he came back up but he was choking down water then he stayed you know to his credit he got back in the little boat and he went back out there and filmed some more seas but now they've cut the lines on mm. one side so he's not going to go down again so <laughs> it was pretty scary he almost, yeah, it's, yeah it sounds like it wow okay i had no idea yeah it was good to see the coast guard get a little uh, love there with the helicopter i didn't know they'd managed all the filming scenes as well yeah. How about, so then in the final battle, there's a couple different missile shoots, it looks like, and I guess I'm told the Navy filmed, or I should say Paramount filmed the Navy firing a missile off an F-14, but they do at some point show a missile off the MiG-28. I'm guessing, was that maybe models or Yeah, studio. And then what did they do? They took the one missile shoot, and again, we've talked about on the show before, but we'll fire real missiles, sometimes telemetry missiles too, but we'll fire them every so often. 
for the experience of doing it. Plus, it's an end-to-end test of the weapon. So my guess is the Navy's like, hey, look, we're going to do this anyway. If you want to come film it, you can. They begged for it. They, they, yeah. Okay. So they just figured out a way to make it work with someone's NCEA. In fact, I think Heater, Chuck Heat, who was ops officer at VF-24 at the RAG, mm-hmm. was the chase plane. He was the cameraman who held the camera in the back seat. Oh, okay. It wasn't the Learjet? No, no, no. This was oh. a, a camera in the back of an F-14. And so I think that's how they got that footage. And then they just kind of repurposed that a couple of times in the final battle. You see it come off the left and the right. Yeah, and, yeah. And you see the smoke trail flying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. To just flip it one way and flip it the other way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Plus, yeah. I mean, it's like one potato, too, and it's gone. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay. you know, we, right. So that's yeah. how that all. So models as well for when, uh, who is it, Hollywood and Wolfman get hit and there's right. spinning and breaking Yeah, that's apart, all. Obviously. Special effects, yeah. yeah. Okay. How about there's a scene where... Maverick's supersonic, be there in 30 seconds. Again, great one-liners in this movie. But there's a scene where there's like two F5s, the Tomcat, and then two more F5s, and they're all doing this daisy chain Oh, roll. that's Jambo's favorite. What? <laughs> what is going on there? That looks crazy. Yeah. That was like the maybe the first or second day of film. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. That's one of those things that somehow or another we allowed to slip by. There was a big fight over that because 90% of that stuff was absolute trash where they sped it up, you know, and made it. If you look at it, a couple of those really did make it in. That was the speed up there. Yeah. Yeah. That was in that mode where it's like, okay, it's not going to be a documentary. You know, it's a rock music video with airplanes and good music. So we just let that. But when you think about it, the F-14 is not rolling. You got the two F-5s in trail, you know, they're rolling behind a Learjet. They're close to the Learjet. So all of that stuff. But if I recall, the whole idea of that scene was basically showing that the two F-14 guys are getting kind of target fixation on the guys in front of them and that the guys in back are stuck up on them. Right. They said there's a two boat in the five, radar and now there's yeah. four. Now there's five. Yeah. You know, so even though there are only ever two black F-5s in the movie. Make 28s. Yeah, yeah make 28s okay. in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you've got the bullets uh, flying through with the choo 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 sound. I love that. <laughs> uh, and the rat a tat tat. I love that too. Again, we, we can't pick it apart, but it is funny. You know, when I watched it, I was 16 years old when it came out, and I, of course, was in love with it. Now, for the record, I did want to do this already before, and that just put it in overdrive. Right. But even then, I remember thinking, gosh, I feel like he's flying formation off those uh, airplanes, let alone trying to get a shot. And again, we've talked about how. They need to put everybody real close well, together. Well, it was otherwise. in formation. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why I looked at yeah. it. Everybody thinks, well, they were much closer. Well, we fly in formation closer than that, even, you yeah. know, but not yeah. when we're maneuvering, right? right? You know, no, so. there were a couple yeah. scenes. For example, I think it was Tex and I were in A4s. So we're filming. And of course, Fallon, we're up at probably flying at about 8,000 feet, yeah. right? We're, up, we're up there. So not above the ground. Well, the but, desert floor is right. 4,000 yeah. feet. Yeah. Roughly. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, MSL. The A4 was notorious in that it had aerodynamically operated slats. And those airplanes, you know, they were designed by Ed Heinemann back in the 50s to carry a silver bullet on a one-way mission. Exactly. Right? And we're out there thrashing them around, dogfighting, doing all this stuff. I mean, it was nice. I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, you can save weight and do all this stuff. Well, they were not very predictable. In fact, part of my checklist when I got in the airplane, I'd pull the canopy down. I'd look to see where all the scrapes were from some guy's helmet. <laughs> hitting it as one of those slats popped down because that thing had a roll rate of 700 degrees a second and that's with a stick when that slat came down bang Uh so there's a tomcat maybe two following us and we're again we're very close to each other Mm -hmm. and we're not going that fast and they say okay you roll this way and tex roll the opposite way so it's only like one potato like this but we're i don't know maybe 200 feet 
above the ground. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, now's not a good time for one of slats to come out. Because <laughs> we're at that, you know, yeah. 280 mm-hmm. knot where they can come out because it was a roll and then a pull. And that's where Maverick leaves his wingman and goes after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I said I wasn't going to talk about all the other scenes, but there's at least one scene we have to talk about. Now, Jamba, I'm going to start with you because I met you today, and I, you don't look familiar from the movie, but Smegs, you do. Did you get to play in any of the other... Uh, you weren't there... Um, no, I ended up on the cutting room floor. It's a story right. of my life. No, uh, There was a lot of guys at Miramar that were at that scene where they yeah. did... Uh, in fact, in one of the cuts, I was Keller. And so I was kind of like the pre-Iceman. Now, uh, the weird thing was they filmed this. What was the place we filmed? It was down the in... The bar scene? Yeah. It was up in Hillcrest. And to get the effect that they want, of course, they have the... What are those little smoke pot? Yeah, smoke. The whole place is filled with smoke. To diffuses light, just like a studio deadly yeah. sound, okay. so it diffuses light. All right. And it was summer, mm-hmm. as I recall, hot as could be. And, of course, everybody had to be in khakis, and they wanted everybody to be wearing sunglasses. <laughs> it was just the weirdest thing, right? Except me. I w- everybody wanted to be in whites. The, oh yeah, the yeah. everybody was in, in whites. whites. You were in khakis. No, I because I'm working. Everybody else was in whites or flight gear. But there was one scene where they're at the bar. Right. They're like, "See that guy? That's Keller." I had no dialogue. They go, "That's Keller." Yeah, he's like the bad. He's the ace. That was going to be you. Yes. Oh man, I know. I ended up down. You know, Gosh, right? All right. They probably looked. They said, "No, he's too yeah, much but, of a baby face." But not you, Smegs. When uh, our so heroes I have are to singing, sit there and it's sort of like have you ever seen the movie The Right Stuff? Right about. Chuck Yeager, mm-hmm. the bartender in the, that all the fighter pilots used to go after their flights after one guy died. The bartender was Chuck Yeager. So they always try to get the guys, you know, who like helped them. A cameo, them, in a, a cameo yeah, in a yeah, sense. Yeah. And so, and at the last minute, they said, I was in the Glee Club at the Naval Academy, so I could <laughs> sing the song. But they put me in there, and Tony said, just turn around, face the other way. When they start singing, just turn around and sing with start the boys. Singing, yeah. So when I turned around, I'm looking right at Kelly McGillis. I go, holy shit. I knew right then I was going to, if the scene didn't get cut, I, I was going to be in the movie, yeah. you know, and so, you know. So for the listener. So I'm the only guy in khakis, so you can't miss me. Yeah, Everybody's exactly. in white, so and I'm in khakis. you're to the left of Goose from the viewer's perspective. Right, I'm Goose's and shoulder. And you're looking at Kelly, and you're singing, you've lost love that love and feeling. And then I thought I saw you later in the graduation scene, but... Uh, no, no, that's my doppelganger. Yeah, I'm in other he does scenes. have a doppelganger. I have okay. a doppelganger, yeah. yeah. I'll show you the picture later, but there is a picture of, not the Top Gun, oddly enough, you know, I don't have any pictures of all of the Top Gun instructors who flew in the airplane, and I don't know why that is, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of F-14 guys who were extras in the scenes. Okay. And there's a picture of all the actors and all the F-14 guys who were the extras. Was there one where it might have been where they feel the need for speed and high five, but there's someone in the background that looks like you also walking on the flight line in flight gear? Not in flight gear, but I'm on the flight deck. This says VF 213 LSO on my white. You know, you'll see me there after Maverick comes back. And the scene where they're in the, looks like the, whatever it is, where he's saying, get Willard and Semkin on a cat four. It's the first time I ever heard my name. I didn't know they were going to do it, but they used our name because it was added later, right? And so I'm one of the guys turning the dials in the back. You can just see the back of my head. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the guy who's like the CAG and the skipper and everything all in one, don't know yeah. his uh, actor name, but so yeah, Reddy, Willard, and Semkin on Cats 3 and 4 in the final battle. Yeah. So Rat gets a call out because what? He led all the flying scenes and was big. You know, trust me, Rat and you, was... And you got a call out as well because you were their handler. Well, the way we were, the two of us were the guys that they knew. They got to know all these guys. But the two guys who were in trouble if something went wrong were Rat and me. Okay. Yeah. Right? So Rat was the senior, we call him Hinchhead, right? The yeah. lieutenant yeah. commander at the time. He might have been a commander. No, I think he's a lieutenant he commander. He was lieutenant commander. 
So, you know, from having been in a squadron, anytime you have a mission or whatever, you got to have a point guy, you got to have somebody leading the mission or whatever. So he was kind of the designated guy. Well, the skipper, just like the skipper of Top Gun said, Rat, you're doing this. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 He said, I, yeah. you know, it's like, the whole thing about just getting court-martialed, you know, that, you know. Yeah. and so yeah. Rat. And Plausible deniability. Rat had to go meet with Admiral Cassidy several a times. times. But now we're talking about Rat and not the skipper. So right. it's yeah. Yeah. worked out. But yeah. Yeah. So, As he should. You know, he should. Both these guys should yeah. because they had a huge... That's cool. Uh, impact on the movie, and I hope we get a chance to talk a little bit about the dialogue and post production. Well, but we can either do that now, or I've got some listener questions I want to fire at well, you. Well, there's one we thing can, you have to, yeah. you do have to, because he is right. There was no dialogue in the movie. Okay, wait, explain that to me. This isn't a silent film. What do you mean? There's no dialogue in the original script. There were no words. The pilots didn't talk in the airplane like in the flying scene. So if you watch the movie, the only time where you see Tom Cruise saying "I'm in," okay. That's the only line that was in the script. Originally. And he's got his mask hanging off the side like this. So, so we can see him talk. So you can see him talk. Right. Okay, I want to see Tom's beautiful smile. <laughs> and I told Tony early on, he says, you got to add words to this movie. It's not going to make any sense. We talk all the time in the airplane. The pilot talks to his wingman. The pilot talks to his Rio, blah, blah, blah. And he says, Smags, he says, we're going to make a deal right now. I'm never going to tell you how to fly those effing airplanes. And don't you, <laughs> you ever, ever again tell me. tell me how to make an effing movie. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> and so we're on the very, my last day on the movie was sometime in September of 1985. We were at Hangar 34, Burbank Airport. You and Bio? No, no, Bio wasn't there then. Yet, okay. Heater was there because forever Tony had fallen in love with Heater. He had a man crush. You know, so yeah. I said, Tony, you're going to film every one of those actors with a mask on. He says, God damn it, Smeg, what I'm going to have to F in that bitter. I said, Tony, I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to stop. All the stuff that you want to do, I'm not going to shut up. I don't care if it ever gets into the movie. But when I get back to Miramar and they see this thing with actors flying around, like you see in all these bad movies mm -hmm. with the mask Masked not off. on, okay? You know, the truth is I knew that they had to add words long beforehand. And if they had a mask on their face, you wouldn't know that their lips are moving. So he put the mask on their face. Two months, maybe three months later, in the fall, maybe winter of... 85, I get a call from Jerry Bruckheimer. And he says, John, I want you to come up and see the movie. We wanted to get your opinion. We don't know. I said, can I bring a Rio? And he goes, what's a Rio? <laughs> and I said, goose? the radar <laughs> intercept officer, the guy in the back, yeah. goose. And I, he goes, okay, yeah, would you do that for me? I said, sure. So I call over to Top Gun because I knew that Bio had flown in the backseat of Rat's airplane. And I said, you know, Bio, won't you come in with me? Mm -hmm. So we take the train up to Union Station, get a cab to 5555 55 Melrose. You know, we pull into Paramount Studios and they put us in a Cecil B. DeMille screening room. I think that's what it was, but it was definitely a really cool screening room. It's like eight seats, just bio and me. Nice. And these four guys come in, Bruckheimer, Simpson, Botolato, and Tony Scott, the three producers and the director. We just want you to watch the movie and we're going to come back and ask you some questions. We, you know, So I'm a lieutenant, bio's a JG, and they leave the scene and we're going, yeah, we're high five. <laughs> <laughs> So we watched the movie and the steam over the deck of the Enterprise, you know, you know, and the cinematography was stunning. And we're thinking all this stuff. And then the first fight scenes, we I go, now I don't say anything to him because I knew it was going to be a problem, but I haven't seen anything. I've seen the dailies, which all look cool. Bio seen some of the dailies. We all thought it looked cool, but the way they cut it together with, you know, and so they come back in two hours later, we watched the whole movie. Two hours and five minutes, actually. I think if I, if I remember correctly, it was a little longer than the final movie was. 
And they said, John, what'd you think? I said, hey, guys, why don't we ask Dave? Okay. This is his first day, right? He hasn't been in the production and everything. He was in the filming. But, not, film, yeah, right, but this yeah. is, you never know, all of this stuff. And so he's like watching this movie, like somebody else watching a movie for the first time. I said, why don't you ask him? And then I'll tell you what I think. Dave says to him, I didn't like it. So, you know, you think fighter pilots have egos. These guys are oh, yeah. way above us, right? <laughs> what they surprised me, they said, well, what didn't you like about it? Matter of factly. And Bio says, I didn't understand it. And then Tony starts to get a little heated because what we didn't know, they had already screened it to an audience and they hated it. Okay. But at the time, we didn't know that. Tony's got, what do you mean you don't understand? It's an effing love story. The boy meets the effing girl. The boy loses the effing girl. The boy gets the effing girl back. And so Bio goes, I understand the love story. Then what don't you effing understand? He goes, I don't understand the flying. Tony, at that point, he goes into orbit. He's spitting. He's screaming. <laughs> Spit's coming out all over the place. And I finally said, stop, Tony. I said, I told you day one that you got to put words in your mouth because the two of us fly these airplanes and we don't understand what's going on. And then Jerry Bruckheimer, and he's screaming at me still. Jerry Bruckheimer walks over and goes, John, you can't just add words to a movie. You know, if lips are moving and no words are coming out, it's really bad. And if lips are not moving and words are coming out, that's the same thing. And I said, I know that, Mr. Bruckheimer, but if you cut the scenes with the scripts, with the masks back into the movie, you won't be able to tell their lips are moving because there's a mask on their and face. And you can put whatever dialogue and you, whatever want. you want. And he looked at Tony and he said, what scenes with the mask? So he's looking at Tony, you're Tony, looking at me. He goes, <laughs> so that day, Bio and I, I said, okay, Bio, we went up in the editing bays. And then also they came back and they asked a bunch of the other guys, you know, later on, got some more things. I said, Bio, if you see Maverick or Iceman, I'm going to talk. If you see Goose or Slider, you talk. Okay, you also talk when you see the bogey because I don't know if they're going to use words. Now. And so we just, you know, break right, break left, check six, 12, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they came back to us and said, oh, we don't understand a couple things. I said, like, like what? I said, check six. I said, well, have you ever seen the movie 12 O'Clock High? Sure, John, it's a classic. I said, well, do you know what it means? <laughs> it's a movie title, John. It's a movie title. No, 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 no. So it, it means something. 12 O'Clock's in front of you. 12 O'Clock High is high in front of you. Somebody's high in front of you. Shoot the guy. Have somebody high in front of you. Check six. If 12's in front of you, six is behind you. It means watch the guy on your tail. And they said, can we say that? We said, sure. It's not a documentary. <laughs> 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 and so and then they had a bunch of the other guys gave him a bunch of words so when the movie was done in the can wrapped sound hadn't been put together and all that stuff yet but the movie was complete with no words hmm. all of that stuff was added it's months. hard to imagine now that we it know is. so well that's why i thought it was important to, to yeah. bring that story yeah. out and then they were in somewhat of a panic coming back but thanks that John, seriously, he's got to get the credit because he was adamant. You know, of course, when if the Admiral saw these dailies and these guys are jacking around this guy with their mask, I was like, what's that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Can you and imagine going seven G's people, and having your mask clapping <laughs> in the face? For you know? those who don't know, I mean, the way the NATOPS is written, our standardization is you're basically supposed to have it on your face from takeoff to touchdown. That's now, right. does that really happen? No. Yeah, no. Sometimes you take it off, take a breather or but whatever. Never. If you're pulling G's, your mask But if you're on. fighting, yeah. So as it turns out, him being adamant about having that really saved them because then they, not we, but to lay in dialogue that made sense. And these guys were basically riffing along with this. And then that's a picture. He's in there like, wow, really? 
tell us more. <laughs> they came back and asked a bunch of us, you know, yeah. same thing. What are stuff you would say? What are things you would yeah. do? That's how the dialogue got built for the and movie. So then all the of that was added in. And it took a long time because we're not writers and it's a union job. The writers are union Ooh, job, yeah. Yeah. right? So Careful. they took what they said. They took what bio and I said. They brought back in Morin Scarin. He wrote it all up. Then they had to bring all the actors back to do their lines. Who are already on other things, probably. All I know, Tom Cruise was doing the movie The Color of Money. If you've ever watched that, the elevator scene, that was filmed. He has a ball cap. He's got a ball cap on because he's got long hair tied up behind him, okay? He's got an earring with a little hole. They (laughs) had to put makeup over it. If you look closely, you can see it. And so he's in an elevator on a Navy base, Okay. (laughs) How many elevators have you ever been on? <laughs> <Not today>? too <laughs> many. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the tallest building is the tower, and there's no elevators. So there's a lot of fine tweaking until right. And so the, the only reason is, I was yeah. there is Paramount called me up. You know, I'm already now getting out of the Navy, and they call me up. This is in the spring of of '86 before the movie it came came out in May. So boy, they really did so some. The, but this is when Tom tower. Cruise had to do his. He yeah. was making the movie Color Money, <laughs> right? So they said we'd like you to come to Chicago to help Tom with his lines. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, we have some, we've had some lines and everything. And he refuses to do it if you're not there. <laughs> so I said, okay. So it's the first time I ever flew first class. They put me on an airplane <laughs> to United, you know. <laughs> I'm flying to Chicago. This put me up in a nice hotel. You know, all this it was really fun. And so he's doing, he's giving his lines and he says, how do I look like when, I'm, you know, I said, you know, just, you know, kind of put a little bit in it. You're pulling hard, geez, and everything, you know, yeah. just talk like that. And so he did great. And then, Guy who played Merlin, which was Tim Robbins. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Shawshank he's, Redemption fan. Right. He's fame a total anti war, anti military guy. Oh, nice. Total. I don't know if it was he was being difficult because he didn't want to do it. Because if you've ever seen him in the movies, he's in that FBI movie where he tricks the guy to blow up the FBI headquarters. He's always the guy who's against the you know, government or something. The government. Yeah, yeah. And so whether he that or he didn't he wanted more money, I don't know. They had to screen the movie to Gulf and Western. Cruz goes, Hey, John could do it. You know, so he's now becoming my voice coach. And I'm just giving my lines like, you know, I'm a fighter pilot. You know, and the crew goes, no, 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 no. <laughs> you don't say you're going to do what like that. You say, you're going to do what? And so I said, OK, so I did it. You know, and I, for a second, I thought it was me when the movie came out, but it wasn't. It was. <laughs> but he did it exactly the way Cruz told me I had to do it. It was really kind of fun, you know, so. <laughs> Years later, 20 years later, he's in a Dodger game walking by. I say, hey, Tom. I'm outside on the phone I'm doing a, working on the real estate deal, and he's walking by with the head of, the guy who owns the Dodgers, but one of the former heads of Warner Brothers. Up on the club level or something the club at the level. stadium, yeah. And I go, hey, Tom. And he looks at me like I'm some schmuck. And then he, he stops. He figures it out. He turns around. Come here, come here, come here. This guy told me how to fly. You know, it's like 20 years after the movie Top Gun. So I have to give the guy credit. Right. He re- you know, he remembered me, you know. Yeah. So, of course, he didn't know my name, but he did know my call center. <laughs> hey, that's important. All right. Is he still sending you uh, Christmas cards? Oh, no, no, no. I haven't okay. seen him since. All right, guys. Tell you what. In the interest of uh, our bladders, we're all getting older, you know. Let's get through some listener questions. We'll call it a lightning round so we can make these quick. And then we'll wrap up with a few other things. And we'll opine about the coming movie. These listener questions are from folks that help support the show financially, which is great because it keeps it going and pays for things like this studio. And one of them, Joe Kunzler says, why no guns kill for Maverick? Now, the bad guys all shot guns. But the good guys never did. They said they were too close switching to guns. Everybody loves that one, too. I've seen that on a bumper sticker. 
Why no guns? Know, it would have been good. Nobody ever taught him how to shoot, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> no, you guys uh, should have been leveraging for that. There's no kill like a gun's kill. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I was the gun bro. Talking. That's, that's, that's the only yeah. thing that would have been realistic. We were so close. Yeah. 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 <laughs> way, Except way, you would hit all the debris. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, that's good. That's a good question. And uh, okay. yeah, they I just, wish, they wish just I wanted could. it to be missiles. Fair enough. All right, Greg Lund says this is a statement, not a question. He says, "I recall an interview with a Navy pilot who was a POW during Vietnam, and he continued his Navy career after release. He was involved in the filming the Buzz the Tower scene. You said that was Bozo. Was he a uh, no? Bozo no, wasn't. It wasn't. No. And Bozo was not a Vietnam guy. Um, who's the guy? Who was a congressman and got indicted. Oh, uh, Cunningham. Yeah. Duke Cunningham. Yeah. He used to talk about that he had done that before in one of his. That he wasn't a POW. Had, I don't know who that would be. I don't know, but he, uh, he was never. Yeah, there was nobody, no Vietnam guys. Bozo was the pilot in the flyby. All right, moving on. Jim Gundog says, from watching behind the scenes of the Final Countdown and Pete Pettigrew as the Top Gun advisor, what challenges did you have filming air-to-air sequences? I know in the Final Countdown they used a helicopter, which failed, eventually B-25. Didn't they use a Learjet for Top Gun? So we've already talked about the Learjet. Right. Talked about a big challenge, of course, losing Art Scholl and trying to get him closer and closer. Was there anything else we didn't cover? I think that pretty much covers it. you got the Air Force cameras that we had and the cameras in the back seat. Yeah. of the F-14s that actually pilots and Rios actually carried. Hmm. So I will say that those, uh, and John touched on that briefly, but I remember one day we were at Fallon, and uh, I think it was Bill Bottolotto said, hey, Jambo, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm standing by to stand by. And he says, well, come with me. So we get in a helicopter. Oh, we were and, at, you were out there at the top right, of the mountain. Yeah. Right. And I, were you with us on that? I was, yeah. And he, he says, this is a loop. And I go, okay, whatever that is. you know. And he's kind of looking, because this is what it's going to look like with this camera and this. And he said, I need to find a place to put these space trackers. And I go, space tracker? What? He goes, yeah, we rented these space trackers. And these things are impressive. I can't remember. He told me uh, what they were paying for those things a day. It was a lot. Yeah. 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 So that was, it was just fun. You know, they could track, they were used to track the space shuttle when it was launching. But, huh. you know. Every so, time an okay. airplane was airborne in that area, there were something like 12 to 14 cameras. Wow. Every time. Well, we didn't really talk about it. I think in the new film, and again, we'll touch on that in a second, Paramount is paying for the gas, but the Navy's like donating the airplanes or whatever. No, no. Now, is that not no, the case? No, no. The A4 was $4,600 an hour. Really? The F5 was $6,400 an hour, and the F14 was $7,600 an hour. Build to Paramount. Build to Paramount. I used to have, I had my, before my ex-wife threw all my stuff away, I had all of this stuff written <laughs> I down. I had the original script that I read that I wrote in uh, purple, a felt tip pen. Yeah. And the chief of staff wrote in red felt tip pen and chief of staff in green and the admiral in red yeah. had our three copies of the original script changes gone yeah. into the ether. Sorry about that. Well, let's <laughs> move on before we start disparaging uh former spouses. All right. Jevin says in bio's book, top gun days, many scenes in the movie showed maneuvers that were prohibited during normal flying. For example, the low flyby of the tower. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. Could you talk about some of the other prohibited maneuvers used in filming? I mean, we already talked about if it was BFM, there was passes closer than 500 feet. I mean, in the end, right. You said it, Smegs. You were told, don't break any rules. Don't break anything. Well, Jambo's roll at 200 feet. That's not... (laughs) So there were things that were, you know, the risk gray. was managed. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. We managed wanted risk. the thing to be freaking cool, period. We briefed everything to make sure. And like the F-14, when the F-5s kept getting closer, mm-hmm. we, have you seen the dailies? You, you know, they were getting closer and closer and closer <laughs> and closer. But unlike, you know, guys turning against each other, right. the F-14 was straight and level and the F-5 flew gotcha. by. So, you know, we were not closer than the Blue Angels are when they're right. in formation, yeah. right? But right. 
close. But if I was at the end of a long green table and there was a bunch of admirals asking me, did you do any prohibitive maneuvers? The answer Absolutely would be no. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jevons. The answer is no. Not on your life. All right. Sean Jones says it would be interesting to hear their thoughts, this, you two gentlemen, on what were they filmed versus what actually ended up in the movie. I feel like we've kind of talked about that, but yeah. I mean, obviously they couldn't add anything they didn't film. Well, obviously Jambo's scene Got caught. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. No, that was too bad. Killer? Is that what they were going to call Keller. you? Keller. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Should have been Killer. There were a lot of things that didn't make it into the movie because the script when we first started wasn't the script at the end. Right. right. Yeah. And to add to that, obviously there was a lot of flying aviation type scenes that for whatever reason they didn't use, but there was yeah. a ton, a ton and, of And oh, at the last even. minute yeah. we suggested, why don't you go look at the tax trailer? And oh, for the gutsiest move uh, scene? Yeah. yeah. That was at the time. That was really... Star Wars. Star Wars kind of stuff. You know, now it's nothing, but <laughs> we had to put in a, a tape that was not classified so that if it got on the thing, so. Yeah. But the tax trailer was kind of a small space. Yeah. So they used the actual trailer? They the actual they trailer. They didn't uh, recreate. Yeah. Didn't they have a tax, like in, remember Firefox with Clint Eastwood? I thought they had like a feature in there when they called them back and put them in the simulator. Maybe not. Because I just remember the little coffin symbol showing up over the, maybe it was Top Gun. All right. Michael uh, asks, how many hours did they fly all together and how many aircraft were used for filming? So, Smegs, you were the bookkeeper, sounds like. The whole aviation budget was a million three. Hmm. So take 7,600 or take an average yeah, of yeah. 5,000 yeah. of the three airplanes. And that's what the whole aviation budget I was. I think the amazing thing is that... Um, and that included the helicopters on the ship. I was referencing my logbook. My participation, it's not important, but the... <laughs> Number of sorties that we flew during that period of time to make that movie was seemed like it'd be pretty incredible. But I, if I recall, we did all that flying in about eight days, mm-hmm. and that's San Diego and Fallon and Fallon. All of that. To your previous point, yeah. you were busy, dude, as a Top Gun instructor. We all know. Correct. Uh, so. <laughs> I mean, they go no, 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 no. The prep that these guys had to do to do one briefing, you know, or. You're learning about a weapon system or whatever. Ugh. So well, I know nobody can see it, but this is for August of 1985. All right. Two pages in the logbook. So it's Miramar. That's Navy Dallas. Fallon, Las Vegas. Navy Fallon, BKF was Buckley. Navy Dallas, Pensacola, NTU, which was Virginia, B- Oceana. Uh, Oceana. Back to Fallon. Fallon again. Oceana. <laughs> You were all over the place. Yeah. That's, well, and that's, only uh, Fallon and Miramar were in the movie. The other ones, he's having to do his regular job. Yeah. That was in between those times. So that's like 35 sorties or so. And yeah, in between, it's like, hey, go up there, do this, brief, fly this sortie. Okay. Hey, I, I'm going over to Fighter Weapons School at no Nellis. Yeah. At <laughs> Nellis. And I'm doing a brief for those guys over there. So uh, yeah, we got to roll. So yeah. Of course, you didn't know then what you knew afterwards, which was it did work out. It was a good movie. It moved the dial for the Navy. Changed American I culture. Mean, yeah. Changed world culture, actually. It really did. It Changed really the did. vernacular. Yeah. yeah. All right, Sven Weber has a question I think we've covered. During filming of dogfights, the aircraft would fly much closer than in real life to fit in the frame. What were the special safety precautions for this? We covered that one, Sven. Yeah. And then last is Scott Kelly. I don't think it's the astronaut. Uh, Was Goose's Watch the Mountain scene flown exceptionally low? I think we covered that one, too. Yeah. (laughs) Just go on the DVD and go frame by frame, and you'll see it's going behind a cameraman and not a mountain. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's how low we were. All right. You guys were filming this in 85. I think, if I remember correctly, Iron Eagle came out in 86 also, but like in January. Do you remember watching that? And do you remember like being worried or did you, do you remember at all? 
Because again, I was a young man in high school and I wanted to do this already. Yeah. So all of a sudden now there's these movies about aviation and I used to love it. And now I watch it and I cringe, but I got called to be the advisor for flight of the intruder. And I said, no, oh, really? and red storm rising. Yeah. I didn't do either, oh, one, huh? but I wasn't okay. a submariner. I think Smegs is the same way, but most of the guys that I, I still stay in contact with a lot of guys. Oh, sure. Glad we were there, you know, did a, a part of it. Obviously it kind of changed the footprint. Yeah. Uh, the fighter weapons school and the Navy in general, naval aviation. But once it was in the can and watched it, and of course, every scene that I, when I took, and now I'm a happily married guy now, but at the time, you know, I was a yeah. happily, <laughs> happily uh, single. Bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, that's me. I'm in that scene. Yep, that's me. So it was, it was useful for that. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, frankly, no, uh, closed the book and kind of moved on. Yeah. It was a complete mistake that it was successful. Everything that we did, <laughs> they agreed to, and that never happens. <laughs> the fact that we, Rat was able to tell him to do this, and you know, the fact that I was on the staff, any guy, other guy on the staff would never have gone along with everything. That, I just wanted it to be cool. <laughs> if they had picked somebody else, it would have been different. Yeah. If Rat hadn't been at Top Gun at the time and telling, okay, here's what we have to do, you know, the number of complete unbelievable circumstances that happened to make the movie what it is it wasn't an accident to your point about these other aviation related movies mm-hmm. i think the difference can be seen in a movie like you're talking about iron eagle they didn't have a fighter weapon school type staff or john simpkin in the background saying yeah no this is going to work this isn't i mean yeah they had some airplanes it took pictures of airplanes, but when you see it as an aviator, you're like, nah, that's not. When you see the the Top Gun movie, the cinematography in general is yeah. is amazing, yeah. and the music yeah. was yeah. amazing, too. And I'll say it again. In my opinion, that's the two qualities that made that an outstanding movie. Nobody really talks that much about what a great story it was. Mm-hmm. It but, changed so many times. <laughs> but, wow. So now here we are 36 years later revisiting Top Gun and Tom Cruise calls it a love letter to naval aviation. I assume you two gentlemen haven't seen anything more than the rest of us as far as the trailers go. Right. Any inside thought or... No, I was waiting for my engraved invitation to the world premiere, which is going to be tomorrow. Tomorrow, I on the midway, and they didn't send me which, one. Which, uh, yeah, oh, I, I probably shouldn't tell you then that excited. I'm going. Yeah, there you go. You're good. <laughs> Somebody from the Navy PR office called me years ago and said, you know, we'd like you to meet with the technical advisor of the new movie. And I said, well, I'd be happy to meet him. Why don't you come out and buy him dinner at my favorite little Italian place mm-hmm. in Westwood? You know, so he comes in, he comes walking, and he's a Navy captain. I go, oh, so this movie's really going to suck, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of an inside. Well, why would you say that? I said, you're a captain? You have a career ahead of you. Yeah, you need a nutty lieutenant yeah, with goes, nothing to lose. Goes, well, 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 yeah. I said, I was a lieutenant. He goes, well, who did you report to? I said, nobody. <laughs> right. you know, I said, who did you I think I you're re- talking about? He's basically a lieutenant trapped in a captain's body. Yeah, exactly. anyway. He goes, I reported to two admirals. And he's a good guy. You know, he's a, a captain in the reserves. That, mm-hmm. ended up getting, but he's just a really good guy. So, But he told me a little bit about it. And all he really wanted to do is, how do you handle crews? Yeah. How do you do crews? And I said, well. A different animal now. He's totally a different human today. <laughs> he was nobody then, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he was the big guy in this movie. He'd had a couple of movies behind him. But when we said, you know, go over there, take your hat off, he went over there and took his hat off, you know? And so, but he was very intense and everything. Right. Apparently today he's a little more difficult. It was really fun, but I, yeah, he showed me some of the footage. The key is that you've seen in all of the previews is 
we had one camera in the back of the F-14 that faced the reel. Right. And we had one camera on the wing that we could face between the tails or face forward. That's it. Okay. Now they have eight cameras on the inside of the back seat. But the most important thing is what people don't, wouldn't realize is, I can tell you this because Jamo and I were LSOs at 213. If we go out to Catalina, San Clemente, I mean, and, and we do FCLPs, FCLPs yeah, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. On the way out, he would fly. I'd sit in the back. On the way back, I'd fly and he'd sit in the back. And so it's the first time I'd ever sat in the back and Jam was out there effing with me and I'm almost <laughs> going to barf. Like I'm sitting in the back seat of an F-14 and there's no stick, you know, you're sitting there going, it's a little, you know, there's no, so if it's like, if you're driving the car, the driver never gets car sick. It's the backseater. Well, the F-18 stick in the back. Well, the ones they use in the movie that you see uh, the actors right, right, right. all had a stick in the back. All those actors, when they started getting queasy, the pilots would say, just fly the airplane. Oh, I can't fly it. It's a fighter. You can't break it. Yeah, you know. And so they you. grab the stick and all of a sudden, whoosh, air sickness goes away. There's a name for that sensation, but like when your fingers, right, or your hands well, touch Well, I always tell people, I don't know what it is. I said, when your eyes and your ears and your butt all see the same thing, that's right. you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's when your eyes and your ears don't understand what your butt's seeing, that's when your stomach yeah. lets you know. Okay. Yeah. Those actors. So I think the scenes with the act, I don't know. I haven't seen it. Cruz actually takes off the deck of an yeah. aircraft carrier. Yeah, the back you can't do that in F-14. You need the guy in the back in the event something goes wrong. We took them off out of Miramar. We flew them out of Miramar, but we never flew them off the ship ever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but in the backseat of an F-18, you know, there's, you don't need the backseat to fly the airplane. That's right. In the F-14, you need the backseat to yeah. fly the F-14. So I think that that's going to be the biggest thing because those actors, you're going to mm-hmm. really see them. Yeah. So I'm guessing you'll see Tom Cruise with his visor up or a clear. Lot. Yeah. It's, okay. It's or clear. A- there was, and there was zero, zero in the real movie Visors. of him in the airplane. Yeah, He flew in the airplane several times, but there's no footage in the movie of him in the real airplane. Hmm. None. Interesting. Yeah, I get that question on the show once in a while. Wouldn't he be wearing the new joint helmet-mounted queuing system or flying the F-35? Oh, there's no backseat in the F-35. And no, the joint helmet-mounted queuing system is tinted. We want to see Tom and all the other actors. Right. Yeah. You know, it's always clear. See, I don't even understand up. what he just said. Yeah. <laughs> it's the new, <laughs> if I yeah. look at you over there, I can shoot you over there. Kind of anyway. But see, well, Jello, now you have a new line when you get those questions. Hey. It's not a documentary. Exactly. There you go. I love that. That is the takeaway from today. Yeah. Awesome. All right, you guys. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think we've covered pretty much everything. All I've got left is uh, what does the future hold for you? And uh, Jambo, we'll start with you. Are you retired now? Yeah, so I retired. And this is a great opportunity because John does a similar thing. That It's amazing how we ended up in similar paths. But I thrashed around the airline business for a while. I was out of the cockpit for a while for some medical reasons, not life-threatening, but I got really a chance to kind of change my view of the world and what was important to me. I started with another guy, basically a nonprofit, right? And we, in the beginning, supported the what then was the Livestrong Foundation. And that branched out over what is now 15 years. We're a 501c3. Our focus is on cycling, like bicycling type events. Even if you can't do it outside, people can do it inside, right? You mm-hmm. can put people in a studio and Say, hey, get a chance to support something that you believe in, throw a couple of bucks in the hat and feel good about yourself. You did something good. And people I've discovered are really willing to help. They're just looking for a chance. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of our thinking behind this. And we branched out into, I think last count, we have 14 chapters in seven countries around the world. Oh, very cool. And over this 15 years, we've I don't want to flex too much on it, but for a small no, group, the, the, the couple guys and our 
team is called Rooster Racing, by the way, roosterracing.org, if you're interested. Due to COVID, we haven't been too active, obviously, but we've met some really amazing people. We have some former Tour de France riders who do coaching for us in Europe that have done amazing things. But we've had contributions totaling somewhere around $2 million in 15 years and all sorts of different charities, anything from Special Operations Command to Cancer to small kind of boutique charities that are really affecting, you know, a community. So, you know, we're not tied to any specific one. We just want to give people the chance to do something good. So that's really been the focus. When we stop recording in a minute, let's talk because I just finally got a road bike this year. I went out this morning and the wind was already up and I was just yelling at the wind. I was so mad. (laughs) So uh, what's it called again? Rooster Racing. All right. So that's going to keep you busy for a while? I think so, yeah. All right. Sounds good. And you're here in San Diego. I live right here in, right. Right here in San Diego. Good. Well, we'll have yeah. to figure out how I can get involved because I need inspiration get out the door. All right. How about you, Smegs? What's, uh, you're up in well, LA. I'm, and, I'm in LA. I'm and still you working full-time in the real estate business. I okay. Projects in Texas and California and Paso Robles and Bakersfield. and But the thing that Jambo's talking about is sort of like the passion is in 2007, we started a foundation called the Land of the Free Foundation that supports mm. the men and women of the armed services who work and sacrifice every day to make sure we always live in the land of the free. Yeah, yeah. We support all these nonprofits that help the men and women of the armed services, past, present, and future, their families, whatever they do. We have an event. My partner and I own a hotel in, in the city of industry in Los Angeles County and we give it away one day a year on Veterans Day, and we have a big golf tournament, and we raise a million and a half dollars a day in that uh-huh. one day, and we bring in the troops, and we fill the hotel with them and everything, and that night we give it all away. So since 2007, we've raised, I don't know, 26, 27 million bucks, uh-huh. and we give it away every year, and it's the greatest thing. You see these guys, we bring in Medal of Honor recipients, guys with one arm, and you know, uh-huh. and the families of the guys who have been wounded in all services, not just the Navy, you know, or the Marine Corps. So my two partners were Marines and I was in the Navy. So that's kind of an important thing for us. Landofthefreefoundation.org. There you go. Sounds good. Jello, can I add one thing at the end here? I mean, we've had a lot of fun reminiscing and uh, it's movie and, you know, all the rock music and stuff. But I always want to be brought back to the reality is there's somebody out on the point right now. Yeah. There's somebody on that ship. And it could be a guy who's making sure there's tire pressure, and it could be the guy that's launching off the pointy end. So I never want to lose, you know, that perspective that, yeah, it's great and it's entertainment, Mm -hmm. but there's a serious side to it. I just want to take this chance. I think John would agree, and you as a naval aviator the same, that it sounds a little trite maybe, but we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm -hmm. It's a tremendous legacy that we've been gifted but burned with as well and i think part of that legacy yeah making this movie and stuff but i just want to make sure that i communicate that i think you guys agree with me to support and be and remember and john does that through his organization as well but the great legacy of naval aviation that there are people out there right now Mm -hmm. you know and it's uh, not just pilots it's special forces guys it's everybody it takes the whole team it's yeah i appreciate the sentiment jambo and uh, let's dedicate this episode to them and just be mindful of the sacrifices they make because we've all been there, right? I've missed yeah. Christmases and birthdays and, and holidays and everything else. And uh, in my case, three and a half years on a ship, which is a lot, but not much compared to some. But everybody does their part and we can all be better off for it. Yeah, so, thanks, Joel. Here, here. Appreciate that. While you're talking, let's finish up with our typical question here on the show, call signs. So Jim Ray, Jambo, Jambo. how'd that uh, come about? 
Oh, man. And we already have to mark explicit, <laughs> I think, for this episode. So if you got to go there, go right ahead. Okay, so there was a social event that took place on an island in the Caribbean. <laughs> Is this a military social event? Yes. Okay. <laughs> in which involved some bachelors in the air wing and some of the teachers at the American school. And somehow or another... Now, see, I'm just going to make a caveat that this, I claim it was my evil twin brother, but they say it was me. We (laughs) ended up at this uh, island top bar. I don't know what time, you know, two or three o'clock in the morning. And I decided that I needed to get back to the ship. Oh, dear. So I walk out and uh, there's no available means of transportation other than a taxi cab that's parked there that's got no driver. So I think, (laughs) well, (laughs) this isn't going well. (laughs) I'm guessing alcohol is not involved in this at all. (laughs) Well, that's another story. But anyway, so I, as I get in there and I'm fumbling around and trying to find keys or something, I hear this voice, you, we cut you two ways, wide and deep. (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh man, but I had to have been the world's happiest and funniest drunk at the time because for whatever reason, the guys ended up saying, we don't cut you wide and deep because you got good jambo. <laughs> and that's that's that, how you that, wow. Did he give you a ride, or did he just get you? Out uh, yeah, I, I ended up getting a ride home. Yeah. <laughs> My last name has three consonants in a row. So when we reported to VF two thirteen, there were three of us that were coming in from the rag. I was the pilot, and there were two Rios, and they had all our names on the board. It's tradition. It's you know, they said, here's your call sign, and mine because I my name Semkin has. MCK, three consonants in a row. It screws everybody, sells me smacking because they, they right. just do it. That's right. how they do it, right? And so let's just really F with them. We'll give them one with four consonants in a row. So they called me Schmegma, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because it's S C H M. So I had three, four consonants. And so because my, they couldn't say my name, so they gave me Schmegma to F with me. And so Schmegma, as you know, if you're trying to say, you know, like Jumbo Break, right? You know, you get Schmegma. You know, you can't do that fast. We, right. we shorten it to smegs. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, this has been a lot of fun reminiscing. I hope for you, for me, it's just uh, learning more behind the scenes of what went into some of the filming there for Top Gun. And um, it's just been really interesting to learn from your perspective of it. So I want to thank you for what you did in the military, what you did for movie viewers worldwide who enjoyed the film and everything you put into it, and for the Fighter Pilot Podcast audience for your time today. Yeah, well, glad to have the chance. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate the invite. Thank you very much. Yeah. All right. Well, were those guys a hoot or what? That was a lot of fun. And as I said at the beginning, always better to be in the studio where we can have some refreshments and kind of feed off each other. And after we wrapped up, I took those guys to dinner and we had a great time. And one of them you're going to hear from again pretty soon, actually. And that's Jambo. We'll talk about that in a bit. Anyway, just a couple notes that I took in re-listening to ourselves. First, AVROC, the Aviation Reserve Officer Candidate Program. I had to look this up, and I was surprised what little I knew about it, because it's essentially like the Marine Corps' platoon leaders class. I almost signed up for that. I think I talked about that on one episode. I was a signature away from doing that, and then kind of at the last minute realized, as much as I respected the Marines, I didn't see myself as one, which I count as, frankly, a compliment to them. 
But at any rate, what you do here is you actually split the AOCS, Aviation Officer Candidate School, at least that's what it used to be called. You split the curriculum in half where you attend the first half during the summer between your junior and senior college years. After you graduate from college, you return to finish the second half of AOCS, and then you get commissioned. And the advantage of that is that your pay entry date would start when you signed up for the program. And I remember them talking to me about that for the PLC as well. So that when you are a brand new ensign, an 01, let's say, instead of being an 01 just with no years of experience, you might be an 01 over two, or then later an 02 over four, and that gets you a little bit more pay. And I think it helps you towards retirement as well. So AOCS went away. Now everyone just goes to OCS and the Avroc program went away as well. Now, another thing, uh, Jambo, I didn't stand up for myself then, but hey, I went to safety school in Monterey and I didn't think it was like kissing my sister, but um, you know, they teach good things there and it's important, but yeah, it's not as sexy, obviously, as going to Top Gun, but I did go and I enjoyed it. Now I believe safety school is down in Pensacola. I think they moved it not long after I went through. Now we'll leave links in the show notes to the mentioned Facebook group videos, as well as the Rooster Racing and Land of the Free Foundation, and head on over and take a look. I might send a little honorarium over to those, and thanks for their uh, participation today. And then finally, the uh, captain advisor that uh, Smegs was talking about, yeah, he was a lieutenant. You know him. You've heard him here on the show. He was on one of our earliest episodes back in our very first month, actually, and he's coming up. We're going to air that right after Top Gun Maverick releases on the 27th, probably sometime in earlier mid-June, we get to hear from him on what it was like to be in three-person meetings where he was one and Jerry Bruckheimer and Tom Cruise were the other two and trying to figure out how to make the movie work. So looking forward to that. All right, as we wrap up, got a bunch of new Patreon supporters, including Strike Leads, Martin Miller, John No, Nick Forster, and Mission Commanders, James Logue and Nicholas Hatchell. And as always, I like to remind you the views expressed in this presentation are the personal views of myself and my guests and do not necessarily represent the position of the Department of Defense or its components or Paramount Pictures, of course. And finally, before we wrap up, as Jambo suggested at the end of the interview, let's dedicate this episode not just to all you fans of the 1986 blockbuster movie that we talked about today, but really to all the soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, Coast Guardsmen, and Guardians on the watch right now defending our freedoms. No matter what time of day you are listening to this, what time of year you might listen to it down the road, there are these young, brave women and men out there defending our freedoms. And so take a moment to think about them and thank them. Well, I tell you what, your 34 plus two year wait is over. And that is how long we had to wait for the movie, plus a couple delays there with COVID. By the time you get done listening to this, we should just be a couple days away from the movie release finally. And right after it does, we will release a bonus episode. We're going to be recording reactions of a panel of Top Gun instructors, mostly former that night right there in a theater where we will turn it into a studio and we're going to film these guys talking about the movie and what they got right wrong righteous and ridiculous in homage to our old buddy sunshine who came up with that and so yeah we're going to put that out as quickly as possible i hope you'll dial in and listen but at some point we'll warn you if we're going to have spoilers so if you haven't seen it you're going to want to probably uh pause at any rate Look for that, and then Top Gun Month continues in June with more content with the advisor I was telling you about, as well as the aerial filming coordinator. Stick with us. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here on the Fighter Pilot Podcast. So long. You've been listening to the Fighter Pilot Podcast, brought to you by BBR Productions. 
Got a question for the show? Email us at questions at fighterpilotpodcast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101. That's 877-622-4101. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platform and check out our website, fighterpilotpodcast.com. For exclusive content and to help support the show, check out our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. to our title sponsor, National University. National University is committed to supporting veterans, active duty personnel, and military families through flexible online courses and master's and doctoral programs in high-demand fields, providing excellent career advancement opportunity. National University is a yellow ribbon school that proudly accepts the post-9-11 GI Bill and goes the extra mile by offering additional assistance to cover expenses that may not be covered by the GI Bill. To learn more, visit nu.edu forward slash veteran.